welcome to the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast, a weekly comic book review podcast where myself, Dan, and my co-host, Bob, say hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. We break down, review, check out, talk about a brand new first issue comic book that came out this very week in comic book shops. And we tell you guys if we think that you should move on to issue number two. This week we're going to be taking a deep dive into the all new number one from Dark Horse Comic Books. Bob, it is... Stranger Things, Tales from Hawkins, written by Jody Hauser, art by Cal Philippe, I believe is his name. (laughs) We're going to go with that and hope that we're right. If we offended you by saying your name the wrong way... We're very sorry. We greatly apologize. Please guest on the podcast and teach us how to say your name correctly. That's my call to action today. (laughs) If any creator out there, we say your name wrong, all you got to do is come on the podcast. So that way we can learn how to pronounce it the correct way. (laughs) So with that being said, we will be right back after this short break. Welcome back to the all new, all different number one comics podcast. We are going to start our deep dive here on a brand new number one issue that came out this very week in comic book shops, as well as digitally if you're reading that way. We're going to be talking about the new number one from Dark Horse Comics, Stranger Things, Tales from Hawkins, issue number one. I want to talk a little bit about the writer of this book, Jody Hauser. Bob, I don't know if you've read very many of these Stranger Things tie-in, but Jody Hauser is kind of the house writer for these things. Every single issue of Stranger Things that I picked up has been penned by Jody Hauser. Looks like Jody Hauser really either enjoys Stranger Things or Dark Horse really enjoys Jody writing on Stranger Things or maybe a combination of both. Or Netflix enjoys her. (laughs) Sure, sure. So taken from Jody Hauser's own website, here's a small synopsis of, of what Jody Hauser brings to the table. Jody has written for DC Comics for the titles Mother Panic, Supergirl, Harley Quinn, and Poison Ivy. For Marvel Comics, at the titles Star Wars and Web of Black Widow. Under Dark Horse Comics for Stranger Things, Critical Role, and Starcraft. For Titan Comics for Doctor Who, IDW Publishing, Orphan Black, Star Trek, X-Files, And she also wrote Faith under the Valiant Comics banner, among others. And she continues to pursue comics and other writing projects. Not much of a (laughs) uh, big description of Jody Hauser other than, what else do you need? Jody Hauser has kind of worked everywhere on everything. It looks like Jody Hauser is big at bringing adaptations into comics. Looks like that's kind of Jody Hauser's strong point. There with the Stranger Things, Critical Role, Doctor Who, Orphan Black, Star Trek, X-Files. Of course, as well as maintaining stories for some of these known characters like Supergirl and Harley Quinn. I don't know that Jody Hauser created Faith for Valiant Comics. Well, definitely not because Faith was in Harbinger beforehand. But yeah, it looks like... Jody Hauser is, is, is very big on adaptations. Maybe she's really good at consuming media and then writing spinoff stories or something. Obviously, she knows what she's doing here. The artist who we're going to talk about, again, have no clue how to pronounce this artist's name. So we're going to go with Cal Philippe. Please, 
if, if we've said your name wrong, please uh, don't be offended. Just come on to the podcast and teach us how to say it the correct Again, way. we're very sorry. <laughs> it's an invite for you. That's yes. all we're looking yes. for. I didn't see much from this artist online. I know you, you didn't either upon your deep dive searching for them. No, I did not. Looks like they did... Nightwing issue number 96, 97, 99, and 100, which is a really cool milestone issue. And as I remember the artwork in, in those Nightwing books being great, because I collect them as well. And then also a Stranger Things miniseries, or possibly just a one-shot Stranger Things summer special. The synopsis from Dark Horse's website about the book reads, On the surface, Hawkins seems like the kind of town where nothing bad could ever happen. But in the fall of 83, it's anything but safe. When two friends head out to the woods with their rifles and a six-pack, the would-be hunters find themselves the prey of a nightmarish beast who has claimed the wilderness around town and everything inside it, including them. See, and it's two six-packs. <laughs> yeah, well, that was kind of the other thing I was going to get into, but maybe... They didn't want to spoil that part. Maybe that was a, a big spoiler for, for anyone picking up the book for the first time. But He's yeah, correct. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, you, you are correct. Uh, we just kind of getting into the book. It opens with, with two guys who, who look maybe past the prime of their life, you know, a, a little older, but not decrepit or anything, maybe in their 50s or so, 50s, 60s, I guess. And one of them is named Dale and the other Henry. They're meeting up for a day of hunting, as the synopsis says. And they kind of go into some casual conversation about drinking, about uh, how one of them thought it was the other one's turn to, to bring drinks and the other thought the same. So they ended up with, with essentially a 12-pack of beer instead of a six. So. Because when you have guns, you should <laughs> definitely bring beer. Absolutely. It sounds like a, a wonderful combination. So they talk about drinking and sadly, presumably one of their wives having cancer. I, again, who I assume is one of their wives, maybe a child, maybe something else. I'm not sure, but, but somebody having cancer. They notice some blood on the ground after their conversation and they assume that someone else was hunting that day. Although they point out that they had not heard any gunshots. Next up, they find a mauled, what I'm going to conclude as a turkey. Uh, I'm guessing a buzzard. Okay, a buzzard. Just, okay, just, okay, sure. Just based on the wings. Okay, well, then a mauled buzzard on the ground, and they state that they don't think that it looks like any type of person could have done that. As they set out to find whatever did it, Henry volunteers to kind of be the bait to lure whoever or whatever in, and then Dale seemingly is captured. Yes, because he decides to go off on his own and try to find a high spot to uh, see this creature, whatever, <laughs> what? maul this buzzard or turkey. Sure, whatever it might be. Henry then antagonizes, again, whatever took Dale. And then we see what we know as the Demogorgon appear. Henry is then taken to the Upside Down and sees Dale. And Henry explores the Upside Down for a little bit. And let me not downplay it here. There's not a lot of dialogue in this issue. A good portion of this part of it is kind of 
Henry exploring the upside down. He's going through seeing the empty kind of elseworldly feel of the upside down here, the dark, tattered, weird world of the upside down. This is basically the visual part of the book mm -hmm. where it doesn't really need dialogue. Sure. You know? The upside down, you have to see it visually, you know. So, yeah, again, there isn't a whole lot of dialogue right here. There's more dialogue in the first part of the book. You know, now it's just, okay, let's just explore. Yes. And then Henry is attacked by the Demogorgon. As Henry lays on the ground, seeming like he's dying, Will, from the television show Stranger Things, come and comes and checks on him. He, Will doesn't appear to, I don't know, I, shaken up by it or anything. He, he appears pretty calm there. And it again, it appears that Henry is maybe making a dying wish to Will to find his friend Dale and bring him home. And Will says that he will get him home. My best guess is that this takes place shortly after maybe the first episode or two of season one of Stranger Things when Will is first kidnapped and taken to the Upside Down. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it, it ties into the earliest, you know, foundings of, you know, Stranger Things and Dolores Stranger Things. Yeah, it's a little... I think as I was reading it, it does, of course, tie into the, the Stranger Things world and, and, the, and Hawkins as it should. There's really only a couple of beats here where they, they kind of tie it in up until the point where you get Will. They do talk about seeing Eleven, but they think that it's a boy with a shaved head. Yes. And they talk about uh, Eleven robbing somewhere, a store or something. Benny's, I'm guessing... It was, you know, the early episodes where she goes into a supermarket and just grabs okay. Eggo waffles. It makes sense. And then, and then, of course, it points out that they don't know that, that Benny is dead or, or yes. if that's the character's name, is, has, has died. Not really what I was expecting. And, of course, we'll get into our, our narrative and all of that whenever we get into the review here. But I was really kind of looking as, at, at this as a horror anthology kind of set in Hawkins. Um, and it looks like it's going to tie into the, the main show a lot more than, than that. It's not just going to be like a spinoff type of thing with tales that happen in this world, which I'm, I'm not necessarily saying I have an opinion on whether I like it or not. It's just not what I expected. I, I didn't expect to see Will here. Uh, when they first mentioned Eleven in the issue, of course not by name, but as the character, I was okay with something like that. I feel like that, I felt like I assumed something like that would happen. When we got Will here at the end, I was a little more confused, a, a little bit kind of caught off guard. And, and of course, we're going to tie this back into the main show. Now, again, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. I think that maybe Jody might be trying to convert people who watch the show over to comics and, and that's great and everything. And I think that that is a good entry point for them. If they see some of the characters reference that they recognize and, and all of that, but just as a comic book reader and someone who has seen the show, I definitely didn't need that. Well, no. And I went to, I went into this issue thinking that it was going to be more of, you know, 
maybe the people you didn't see during the TV show. Yes, yes. Because you know, as we've talked to be, as we've talked about before, like with Marvel TV shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for the casual fan who maybe has never seen Stranger Things. Yes. You know, there's probably not a whole lot of people out there, but I know there's people <laughs> out there who have not seen Stranger Things. There's some Things. that exist, right? They pick up this issue, and you have to have a little bit of knowledge of mm-hmm. Stranger Things. It's not like you can go into this issue and know everything that's going on. I mean, when you get that reference to Eleven, if you've never seen the show, you will have no idea what's going on. And when you see Will at the end, it'll be like, who is this person supposed to be and why should I care about him? Yep, absolutely. I can agree with that. And and I think, again, this is this would be something that would, I, I'm assuming that Jody is, is using to bring in readers, bring in potential stranger, or, or, sorry, Stranger Things fans into the world of comic books. This is just another media that they can consume. Of course, we know whenever Stranger Things came out, it was a very, very big cultural phenomenon. A lot of people really became obsessed with this world, especially a lot of kids. A lot of kids were able to identify with those younger characters. And then it was a, a lot of nostalgia for us that grew up in the 80s and 90s who remember things like, look, of course, everyone says, says this a million times, so let me sound like a, like a broken record and a cliche, but of course, the times when we didn't have to tell our parents where we were and we could just ride off in little gangs on bicycles and ride through the woods and kind of do whatever and then come home later whenever dinner was ready or whatever, or, or as, as all the cool kids say, when the streetlights came on. and um, That day and age, unfortunately, <laughs> has passed us by. Sure, sure, which, uh, again... No opinion on it, neither good nor bad. It's just it's just a different time. But I think that Stranger Things really hit that right level of nostalgia and, and really good writing. And then, of course, great visuals, too. We had a lot of connections to stuff like the universes that Stephen King had created and, and things like the Goonies and stuff like that with these gangs of, of kids kind of exploring and, and, and everything. And... Stranger Things just hit that right time for that, that that right age group where this was familiar enough to us. And then, of course, a lot of uh, parents probably showing their children the show um, who have younger kids that are probably around the age of these characters. And it just hit. It was a huge cultural phenomenon. And I think that there still is a lot of those fans out there who who want more of that media, who want more of those tie-ins who want to explore more of this world than what they can get from just the seasons of the show. So I think it's great that Dark Horse is putting out these books and they have Jody Hauser here writing them and everything. Um, with that being said, I do kind of want to just go ahead and, and get into what we kind of thought about the book. Uh, I want to go into the story. I want to talk about Jody's writing here and, and the, the beats and kind of what we did, what we've done the last few episodes, we talked about the beats of the story here. Now, this is a very, very, uh, I'm going to contradict myself because it's a very, very low stakes, high stake <laughs> story. Um, there is a lot at stake here, but we're not, it's not something like Marvel's The Wasp where we're introducing all these characters and hitting all throughout the town. It's not like Black Cloak where we have to build an entire world. Um I think we're familiar enough with Hawkins from watching the television show, but at the same time, even if we weren't, 
this does enough in the little tiny bit of setup at the beginning that it does where it doesn't really matter. You can kind of go in this completely blind and read it and still enjoy it, I think. But as far as the beats in this small stake story here, how did you think it went? What, what did you think of the story beats? I mean, I thought it was good. I, you know, I thought the story beats were good. I mean, how it uh, how it opens up with the, with the uh, Dale and Henry mm -hmm. just going out for a morning hunt with their two six packs of beers, which yep. is safe. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, it, it just didn't seem, it didn't seem to go too fast, but it got into the, I guess you would say action, you know, fast enough with the, going into the uh, upside down and mm -hmm. all that kind of, just going into the familiar, you know, Stranger Things environments. Yeah. And I feel like this artist, of course, this isn't the art section of the review. We'll get into that in a minute, but but really was able to capture that upside down feel. I remember that being, of course, everyone does, one of the most striking portions of the show when you watch the show and they go into the upside down and you notice this disconnected kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what to call it, but, but this disconnected kind of overgrown kind of dead world um, that's just weird and quiet and, and it's just the it's just a very interesting place. I think that that, uh, of course, is one of the most striking, important things about Stranger Things, uh, aside from the characters, is, is the upside down, kind of that that backwards world that they have going on. And, and I think that the artist here really was able to capture that in a nice way. Um, I want to get into the narrative. And, and again, I'll probably, this is probably the last time that I'll say this, but I've said this the last few episodes. We're kind of marrying the narrative and the dialogue at this point. Um, I think that we might bring them back as separate review segments for, for other shows that maybe get into more of a, a separate feel for the dialogue and narrative. But in something like this, they kind of go hand in hand, so there's not really any point to break them down separately. But as far as dialogue and, and narrative here, what were your thoughts? Um, I definitely have thoughts, but I would like to hear what you think about the narrative of the story and then the dialogue given to our characters. Well, I thought, you know, all that, you know, made sense. I mean, you could tell that Dale and Henry, you know, were lifelong friends, mm -hmm. just how they were talking to each other. And sure. That they cared about one another, you know, bringing up either the wife or daughter having cancer mm -hmm. and, you know, the other guy, you know, being compassionate about that. And then just, you know, um, looking at whatever kind of creature mauled this bird and being like, Oh my God, what is this? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know, the scream from Dale when he gets kidnapped and yep. you know, the uh, dying wish at the end or the dying words, you know, I mean, you can definitely tell that, you know, he's, you know, dying. There's no gray area in that. So mm -hmm. I, I think the dialogue, you know, fit perfectly with, for what was portrayed on the pages. Yeah, I, I think the dialogue was fine, too. I, I think I had more of a problem with the narrative. And it's not a huge problem, but but it was a, a little bit of a problem. I, I feel like, for one, yes, I'm used to this world enough to where I can understand what's going on. But I feel like as far as, as the narrative in this, it, it moved along a little fast-paced. I didn't really get 
any time to sit with anyone. Of course, these are most likely just going to be one-off characters that are just going to exist in probably this four-issue mini, mini, and then we'll never see them again, which is fine. But but still, I need to get invested enough to care here. I don't. What I'm what I'm hoping this doesn't do is just kind of shift it off to Will and then his friends, and then we hear nothing else about the hunters again. And it's not a tales of Hawkins; it's a tale of of Stranger Things. Well, and say what you were talking about just now about, you know, the narrative and it moving too fast and, you know, it could have slowed down a little and mm-hmm. built it up a little bit more. That's, you know, the um, bittersweetness, I guess you would say, of these tie-in comics mm-hmm. to already existing properties. Because, yep. again, they, you know, I hate to use the word, but they pander towards mm-hmm. the people who already know. Yep enough about this world that they don't have that they go okay we don't have to explain this because we've already explained this and you know this vehicle Mm -hmm. so and again that goes back to my whole point about you know that is one thing about you know these uh tv comics or these uh already established franchise comics Mm -hmm. i mean unless you know about this world when you read it on page you're not going to know what's going on. Sure. And and I, I absolutely agree with everything that you're saying. I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about a little bit with the dialogue here was you had talked a little bit before about that small cancer subplot that we got there. Yes. Uh, I think that it's important to identify that, that while that's brought up and talked about maybe two panels, maybe two or three panels or whatever, that's uh, again that's like a pretty high stakes uh situation to be in your wife or daughter or whoever caretaker or someone that you live with someone that you're close to has cancer they're going through treatment and and whatever and it's it's kind of talked about with the same level of of talking about bringing a six pack to out to hunting it's not really elaborated on much now if you want to introduce something like that i feel like you introduce something like that for a reason there's never a time that you need to bring up a cancer illness subplot that doesn't directly affect the story. And I'm, I'm scared that here this is not going to directly affect the story. I'm scared that maybe it was kind of shoehorned in so we have like a little bit of, uh, I don't know, empathy for the characters or whatever. Maybe so they don't just look like uh, guys who kind of go out in the woods and drink and shoot things and, and they're a little bit more than that. And I like that, but I think that it is kind of just glazed over and and i'm not sure what the purpose of that is that that kind of does scare me i can't lie about that and i i do agree with you on that i mean sometimes when they bring up um something especially as life altering as cancer Mm -hmm. in chemo they should bring it up for a reason and not just okay we need to you know, further the story about, you know, this guy cares about things and whatnot. So hopefully the hopefully they did that for a reason and just did and it wasn't used just to further the story. Sure. I feel like when you do something like that, you kind of could put in anything. It doesn't have to be cancer. And too many times I feel like we're reminded of cancer and that's something that unfortunately has infected a lot of our lives. A lot of us have either lost loved ones due to cancer or, or had a family member or loved one um, 
had had to battle with cancer, whether they defeated cancer or, or, or not, or or whatever, or, or possibly someone out there has cancer, has had cancer. It's not typically something you want to be continuously reminded of when when trying to escape and read a comic book. And if it impacts the story, then fine. I take something like Guardians of the Galaxy, where uh, of course Star Lord's mother had cancer, and it was. It was kind of placed there for a reason and everything. That makes sense to the story. I understand why that was in there. I think that something like this, really you, you could you could kind of have come up with anything if it's a throwaway. Now, if it's important to the story, that's a different thing. But if, if this is more of a throwaway, we don't ever mention it again or, or we don't see any aspects of that or it's not important to the story, then it could have been anything. How's your wife feeling after she had the flu? Um, How's your kid doing after she, how, she got her cast off today after she broke her arm? You can still talk and still have us empathize with these characters and what they have going on in life. But to bring in a cancer subplot, look, maybe this was a long side tangent. But to me, I just feel like it needs to be important to bring that in. Just something not so serious. Yes, exactly. It kind of kind of just brings you down for a minute when maybe you weren't looking to, to be brought down it so. does and <laughs> comics are ultimately an escape yep. so so i want to talk a little bit now that we got our beats and narrative and dialogue out of the way about the world building this is definitely a world building story uh, of course anything set in hawkins set in the stranger things universe is going to be world building because that's kind of the whole point of stranger things they're building this world not only of this world of nostalgia in the early 80s um, but this world that we all kind of live in that has this weird backdoor to it um, that we're privy to throughout the uh, series and then through the comics as well. So the world building here, of course, we're, we're in these woods, this forest in Hawkins, um, and we're taken to the Upside Down. We talked a little bit about the Upside Down. We don't have to necessarily talk about the artwork yet, but, but as far as world building, and we really only have this one setting, how did you feel this world was fleshed out? I thought the world was uh, fleshed out well. I mean, you could definitely tell it was the upside down, you know, because mm -hmm. you have the contrast of, you know, beautiful day, beautiful dawn, you mm -hmm. know, going hunting. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and it's just, you know, totally dark. You know, you see the, I don't want to call them, what would you call it? Ash falling. Yeah, uh, that's always what I assume too. It's kind of ash. It, uh, it almost reminded me of those scenes in Silent Hill where you get the ash yes. falling. So yeah, it's pretty yes. reminiscent to that. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely, of course, you take a forest or woods or anywhere like that, that can that can take place anywhere. That doesn't, it's not really integral to the story of this, but, but it fits the narrative properly here for these guys to be out in the woods hunting. Um, I, I do like that. And once we're taken to the upside down, like I talked about before, I feel like they were really able to encompass what's shown in the television show mm -hmm. here on the page as well. Um, not only in art, but but in story. Now, this is kind of a curveball, and this isn't normally what we do, but I did want to ask you, Bob. I get a little confused. I've, I've watched Stranger Things, um, of course, season one and season two. I dipped in and out of season three and four a little bit. I became much less interested um, so I haven't followed it through very closely. I don't quite understand, and maybe it's just my comprehension. I, I don't feel like the show's bad at explaining of any of it or anything. 
but I don't quite understand the purpose of the upside down. I'm not sure where it comes from, uh, why the the Demogorgon or monsters or whatever need to take people from from the regular reality into into that world. What kind of the purpose of all of this is? I miss that part of the narrative. So I don't know if if you quite know the answer or not, but I'm all ears if you do. <laughs> well, the way the upside down was first, you know, described or, you know, when we first saw it, I mean, it was basically, you know, in the Hawkins lab, mm -hmm. you know, I guess they were trying to find a doorway to the other side mm -hmm. or whatnot, and they stumbled upon it. But in season four, we find out that in spoiler alert for <laughs> anybody who has not seen the episode or has not seen season four yet, but we find out that it was actually uh, number one who basically created the upside down after he was banished to it by eleven. Okay. In a so, flashback scene. So just kind of a world for him to exist in or it was and it was an mischief in or? it was an existing world okay. and they I believe they're gonna delve more into the origins mm -hmm. of the upside down in this upcoming and final season. But it turns out that he's the one behind the demigorgon and or the demigorgons and He's the one behind. I'm drawing the. I'm drawing a blank. The mind flayer. Okay. Monster from mm -hmm. season one. So hopefully in this season, you know, like I said, it does. If I remember correctly, they're supposed to be explaining more of the upside down. So hopefully we'll get more of how it started and how it began. Good, yeah, I would like that. I would like a little bit of exposition. Again, this isn't about the uh, the show, but as we're talking about the the entire thing, it, it's in, inevitable. It's we're yeah. we're reviewing a tie-in <laughs> comic, so it's sure. inevitable that we're going to bring it up. Sure, I think that's kind of what turned me off from the show in the first place was you introduce too many threads and don't tie enough of them up, and then you just continue to introduce threads. I get disinterested. I need some of that tied up before you can introduce more plot points. Um, and, and I just didn't feel satisfied enough with what had happened. So it kind of turned me off from the story. And, 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 and that's whatever. That's, that's just my feelings on it. I want to get into the art, of course. But again, hopefully this is the artist's correct name. Cal Felipe. Philippe, sorry. Um, I, I was actually very, very impressed with this art here. Um, I'm very familiar with Jodie Hauser, as we talked about, a lot of the projects she's done, and then her other Stranger Things tie-ins, but I'm not familiar with this artist outside of those night those couple of Nightwing issues. This is, this is some superb art. It looks very nice. It it's done very well. Of course, as we usually talk about, there's a whole art team here. There is colorist and, and all of those things. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get into all of that, so we lump it in together under art, and we lump the art under the, the main credited artist, so all apologies to anybody else who may have worked hard on this book, but uh, I want to talk about the characters. How did you feel about the designs of these characters? And then I think that the other thing, the other tie-in to that question is how do you feel them in contrast to the world of Hawkins that you know from the television show? Of course, we have representation of Will here, so and then the 
Demogorgon, I believe that's the name of that monster, right? Yes. Yeah. So so we have these characters that come from the television show, and then they're translated here on the page, and then we have these newer characters. So how did you feel about those characters and designs? Well, the biggest thing for me was, you know, can you tell that these two guys are hunters? And yep. you can definitely tell the hunters. Mm -hmm. I mean, they you can make out their vest, you yep. can make out their guns, you can make out their beer. Sure. Um, you know, Will, you can make him out by his signature, you know, bowl <laughs> haircut. Yeah, the bowl haircut, yes, yes. Um, that I assume Bob had in, in the <laughs> 80s as well. So. No, <laughs> I had a flat top. Oh, okay, well, fair enough. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I said, the upside down, you know, you mm -hmm. can make that out clearly. I mean, you can see the contrast between, you know, the um, daylight during the uh, wood scene and or during the opening panels, and then, you know, the contrast with the dark world of the upside down. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think the art nailed it. I think... I think the rough style was perfect for this comic. I mean, um, you know, the the spit or the bile, you know, the, the demigorgon spits. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he opens his mouth, you can see the individual teeth and the claws. So I think art-wise, I mean, it was perfect. Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be a little bit of a harder one to break down like we normally do. We talk about characters, location, background, and colors. Um I think that we're going to just kind of agree to say the same thing about all of it. The the locations, while we're really only in two locations, we're in the woods and we're in the upside down. That's really all that exists here. Mm -hmm. um, but they're done wonderfully. They look like mm -hmm. they came straight from the television show. Those, those woods look perfect and they look like they fit into this world. I would love to see what this artist does with a straight horror comic. You know, something very bloods and gutsy. Um, something that has like a little bit of visceral, maybe something similar to like what we reviewed last week with Where Monsters Lie. I think this is a very good artist and I'm getting some, especially in the darker uh, scenes here, some of that Francisco Francavilla vibe to it. Um, although maybe not quite as seasoned, but definitely very, very good. It's some outstanding looking art. I love the sparsity of the, the woods and everything whenever we're in the upside down and it just, it looks nice. Um, these locations look great. These backgrounds look, look wonderful. They look like individual pieces of art in each panel. And then the colors as well, whoever the colorist was on this book did a wonderful job kind of tying that all in. Uh, again, we're in kind of shady locations here. We're in woods where there's not a lot of sun and then we're in the upside down. So it's not a bright book by any means, but it gives off a nice vibe. It gives off a good Stranger Things vibe and it ties into that world very well. So my thoughts, uh, again, kind of, I agree with you. I think the art is, is pretty phenomenal here. And I would go ahead and, and just say, if anything wins in this book, it's the art. I yes. think that this art is superb yes. and, and not to take anything away from Jody Hauser's writing, but I feel that until I'm finished this series and, and know what's happening with the beats and, and know what's happening with Will coming into this world and if we're going into Stranger Things proper and, and understanding things like the cancer subplot and all of that, I'm not completely sold on the writing yet, but I am sold on the artwork, absolutely. And to expound on that, I feel, at least for me, being a Stranger Things fan, mm -hmm. and I have to preface that by saying Stranger Things fan, because, <laughs> again, you do have to understand Stranger Things to understand this book, but 
I think I could have easily read it without dialogue. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, um, oh, what kind of comic did you call it? Uh, silent issue. Silent issue. issue. Yes. I feel like that could have been this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. The, the art is the hero in this book. Definitely very, very nicely done. I think our last question that's going to kind of wrap up what we think about this book. Uh, Bob, you moving on to issue number two. You have any interest in that? Um, I probably will as a Stranger Things fan. And again, I, I really, I really enjoy the art. Yeah. I think that this is going to be a hard one for me. I think up until this point, I've at the very least said that I will move on to the second issue of everything that we've talked about so far. If not only just to see what happens um, in some of them, like something like the Wasp, uh, Definitely Black Cloak I wanted to move on to. Some of the other books we talked about, Darkwing Duck and so on, maybe maybe I felt a little different. This one I'm a little torn on. I do want to continue to see this art. I think this artist is great. Um, I, I, uh, I'm interested enough in Stranger Things, but again, it's almost like throwing another thread at me that hopefully they tie everything up on and hopefully everything was done for a purpose with reason. I'm not too sold on this book. I think that personally, I will move to issue two just to see what happens since I read issue one. For anybody who's kind of on the fence in the Stranger Things universe, or if you don't care that much, I honestly wouldn't suggest this book. No. Uh, maybe if you're a big fan, and maybe if you've read issue number one, move on to issue number two. But if not, check out the art, and I think maybe stop there. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. Unless you're a Stranger Things fan, don't get this book. Yeah, you might want to skip the $4 investment on this one yes. if you're not a huge Stranger Just Things fan. Just go online and Google it. Yep. I think that maybe, look, and, and there's a lot of Stranger Things miniseries, especially a lot that Jody Hauser has uh, written. Maybe some of those are a little bit better. Uh, maybe, again, that's just being kind of a tie-in. It's supposed to be a, a sidestep in that world. Maybe just doesn't do it for us. But, but it might do it for you. But that is our opinion on Stranger Things, Tales from Hawkins, number one. I wanted to make sure I wasn't supposed to put county or something in there. I couldn't re recall specifically. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll have a guest on for an interview. And here's our interview with Tony Franklin Jr. on his new Kickstarter book, The Crim Sisters, issue number one. Things in collecting I tend to do is I'm, uh, I go after the books that are not quite good for the history of comics. You know, sure. like okay. when you, you find out like, you're like, oh, do you remember the time where, uh, you know, Lois Lane went black? And you're like... <laughs> Mm, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Or, you know, girlfriend in a refrigerator or even when the Punisher turned black or, mm -hmm. yep. you know, Hank Pym hit his wife and you're like, this yeah. isn't good, dude. No. Um, I, wouldn't fly now, <laughs> well, I did yeah. put my foot in my mouth talking to uh, Ron Mars about the girlfriend in a refrigerator because uh, <laughs> I, I asked him about it and I was like, you know, how do you feel on it? And you could see the and I'm like. Um, yeah, let's really not talk that. about that. <laughs> you know, and he's good friends with like Gail Simone now. Like he talked uh -huh. about that, you know, with it. So it was like we recovered from it, but <laughs> there was that moment where I'm like, shouldn't have brought it up. I just should not have brought that book up. Um <laughs> oh, crap, oh, crap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's an important moment to me. Like 
like yeah, it is absolutely. important like and 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 that's the thing like even you know i mean it 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 determined who hank pym was for even now right 40 years later almost yep we still you talk know, about it we still talk about him doing that <laughs> it's still talking about and it, it's one hit and you know it's one panel and you know they make excuses for it but like you know jim shooter like it, it went to press like they're like oh we tried to do this it's like Dude, you could have just like not had a panel there. You, there's any number of like Absolutely. a billion things. Yeah, um, I mean, somebody was editing. Hey, we could have. I think we're gonna leave this part out, but yeah. <laughs> we didn't have yeah. <laughs> like you could have just like black box slap, mm -hmm. or yeah, you know what I mean? That like <laughs> that would have worked, and it would have been less than like the Marvel action pose of yep. <laughs> smacking. <laughs> well, I think that, like you were saying, it's it's important that that stuff's out there, whether uh, whether we agree with it, yeah, agree with it, disagree with it, whatever. Like it's an important part of comic book history. Yeah, a lot of times people are only kind of chasing like those big events or first appearances or yeah or whatever. But it's it's kind of cool to have stuff that went sideways as well yeah. in your collection. Yeah, it's and part of comic book history. It, and that's the thing to me is like I, I I used to do a podcast called Comics Are Stupid. <laughs> um and it wasn't like pejorative toward comics it was like like the first episode we did was about the swimsuit issues like how big that was in the <laughs> 90s right so i have a sizable collection of swimsuit specials mm -hmm. um and and they're they're fun and campy and a little ridiculous um mm -hmm. but they're not bad you know they're salacious but like not as salacious as like some rob liefeld or some you know um j scott campbell covers and i'm not yeah. insulting them either just like you know, it's like, oh, it's swimsuit. It's like, yeah, but you know, you had like everybody was like mostly naked. You had Colossus, you had Wolverine. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, it's just the sexy ladies. It's like, no, 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 swimsuit special. Everybody's in a swimsuit. Yeah, everybody's got a G-string on anyway. So, what difference does it make? <laughs> exactly. And and I I I I think those are like beautiful things to see in comics. Like even the mistakes, even but like you know, girlfriend in a refrigerator has like become something that's like eyeballed right you know people yep. talk about that and the importance of not necessarily that event even not knowing what the event's referring to just that mm -hmm. like you know using a girlfriend as a way to uh you know move the main character ahead you know the death of a, a, a significant other usually a woman and mm -hmm. i find that pretty interesting you know like i mean at least for me i don't know maybe it's not totally you know cool but like it's good that it's not cool and we can talk about it so yes um, owning those bits of history are important to me in in my like what i hunt after um uh in my collection that and um i also get any like turtle knockoffs i oh, mean okay. like it was a prepubescent hamsters yeah, the and hamsters like, and the zatoichi there was a zatoichi sword of the blind walrus i forgot what it's called <laughs> but i own that book too oh um, god yeah there's so many of those i bought a collection a few years back that had i it was like three long boxes and then one of the long boxes like the first I don't know, 16 or 17 books was nothing but each one of those turtle knockoffs. Yeah, and I love them. I, I love those because, like, you you, <laughs> you know, the turtles at the end of the day are a knockoff of Daredevil, yep, right? <laughs> and so I actually have my own knockoff of turtle <laughs> book, like, I've written. I haven't I haven't found the oh, artist cool. yet, um, but I have it written, and it's, uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun, but it, it's, it's, it's the event after. So, you know, you have, you know, the truck hits Daredevil, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he, he loses sight. And then then the, the, the canister of the ooze goes into the sewer and does the turtles, right? And yes. and turns them. Mine's after that. So <laughs> mine is this continuous journey of this uh, little silly canister. Um, so that's my mine. So that's it, it's awesome. 
Well, um, I, I definitely can't wait to read that. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I think it'll be it'll be funny. Um, fun, funny. It's it's a martial arts book, but I'm I'm I've written the first few issues of that one. I I have tons of so those can, canisters behind me are full of things I've written. Let's oh, see, okay. Mostly either gear and or stuff I've written back there. So wow, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> good amount of stuff there. I, I hand write everything because I'm old and curmudgeon-y, So nothing um, wrong with that. <laughs> I, I hand write, then I type up and oh what's up? He said you're talking to two old and curmudgeon guys, so we completely understand that. <laughs> you know it's it's handwrite it. Um so I handwrite, I type it up, then I print it out, I hand edit, and then I type that up and then I repeat the process over and over and over again until I'm uh until they tell me I have to stop. So, um, you know, I really like that. I like that aspect of it. I'm with you. I write as well. I'm definitely mm -hmm. not to any level of acclaim like you are there. I, I, haven't, I haven't published any projects or anything. I just yeah. like to write as well. But uh, I kind of the ideas just flow a little bit better for yeah. me when I'm handwriting. It, it's something different than typing on my phone or typing on my laptop or or whatever, even, I mean, 100%. I haven't tried a typewriter, but maybe, maybe that works a little better too. But, um, but yeah, something about just getting it out on the pen and paper, the ideas just kind of flow the, yeah. especially when I'm writing dialogue, um, it mm -hmm. just flows much more naturally it's, for me. It's easier to see. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's easier to adjust notes. Like when I'm writing something, I'll be writing ahead mm -hmm. as well going, okay, it's got to go into this and I'll make a note for it there, you know, like, oh, or a line I'm coming up with like, oh, it'll bounce back to this cool. And I can do that by hand, whereas if I have, like, I'm doing it on the computer, it's like, oh, I better have a notepad up and alt-tab. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, 100%, I'm a, I'm a dude who who likes likes it handwritten. And my wife, it drives her mad because I also don't throw them away. Yeah, you got paper um, everywhere. <laughs> so I have stacks. Like, I have I have a um, series I'm working on called uh, – or well, it's not a series. It's, it's, a, it's a script called Hardwired Crush. And I, it's, I think this many copies right now um, <laughs> wow. that I printed and cause it's a 90 page script. So, you know, you okay. print it, you do your notes and then you type it back up and print it again. And I've iterated that eight or nine or 20 times, something like that. And so you end up with a bunch of copies of that. And she's like, well, just throw them away. I was like, but then I wouldn't have them. And she's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you, you got to keep your hard go, copies. What yeah. did you go back to? Prefer to win again. <laughs> so, so I did compromise. So, Star, uh, Crim Sisters. By the way, the the original title was was Stars and Garters. Hence why. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You'll hear me occasionally go like like call it Stars and Garters. That's not the name of the book. It's called the Crim Sisters. <laughs> but I, it's but it was recent enough that if you look at my Instagram when I first announced it, I announced it under Stars and Garters. Okay. And then I was talking with my friends and they were like, yeah, we don't, we don't like that title. And <laughs> my wife's like, yeah, it's not a good title. I was like, no, no. But like, cause it's ladies in space, stars and garters. And there she's like, yeah, I get it. I don't like that title. And I'm like, <laughs> I and like my, it. Maybe, maybe you put it out and then you've got like a trade of volume two and that's the, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's the stars and garters. Yeah. Like, section. And I actually thought that's about naming a later, like a later chapter that because like each of my chapters I have named uh, for it. And, and yeah, even even my artist, Wayne Loudon, who he wanted to actually be here today. Mm -hmm. But uh, his I think his, uh, his uh, the colorist, actually, um, Kim um, Melovec, which I'm sure I'm butchering her name. Um, mm -hmm. She's uh, she's doing the colors on it and she just wasn't feeling uh, up to it today. So we just yeah, sure. they were like, oh, it's, you know. Do it without well, us, and I was like, "Cool." Hey, no worries. We'll take you. Uh, <laughs> you got look. Looks like you're 
we can tell, you know, just by, by reading your book and then what you've got lined up in here, everything, how passionate you are about the project, um, about getting it out there to the world and everything. And it's, it's written. So I, I love the way this is written. It's, it's such a different tone from, from what you see in, in mainstream comics right now. Um, and that kind of brings us into like, of course we had questions for you. Uh, Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so we'll kind of break them down. I mean, I haven't talked to anyone who hasn't read it who I don't personally know. So yeah. I'm so excited. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and look, a lot of our questions are going to be kind of uh, not specific to the story. I don't know how much yeah. of it you want us to spoil or whatever. So so we'll try to keep it to a minimum. I, I can um, even – I'll even spoil a few things for you for the next – like I saw – yeah, we'll you, you spoil. We won't spoil. <laughs> okay. A book threes are – well, I don't mind even the spoiling book one. Any information you find out on book one, totally zen. I, I don't. Book one is is that like getting all the ingredients ready. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like like we're, we we haven't made the stew yet, but you know you're cutting up the carrots and you're 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 put, getting everything into not even into the pot. You're just mm -hmm. you're gathering them. So for me, like we we aren't even getting into like the meat and potatoes of the actual like story until like book two, book three. Then we start seeing like. That is issue one is the tame issue. Issue two and three are going to be like even wilder. So great. Um, I'm, 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 yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm, you mentioned meat and potatoes. Uh, Bob and I for the for the last few episodes have been talking about you know obviously that portion of a of a comic when you're yeah when, well well when you're reading a book and you kind of get you know you get started and then you get into the meat and potatoes of the story. That's an analogy that we've used a couple of times. Of course, not original to us by any means. That's something that's been out there for a long time, but. Uh, Bob and I were talking about a book that a lot of people were complaining about um, diversity and inclusion and stuff like that. And of course we are, um, we are not opposed to any of that. We, yeah. we actually support that. But uh, so Bob had come up with the potatoes and potatoes portion of the show. So that's <laughs> something that we always talk about. So yeah, cool. Cool that you brought that's up. That's like vegetarian friendly version. Like that's the vegetarian Absolutely. stew, the potatoes and potatoes. No, I love it. Um, I mean, I tend, you know, I, I write to whatever character, you know, I lean towards so like, you know, um, Chantilly Mace, which was my first book, you mm -hmm. know, it was about a gladiatorial mud wrestler, you know, a, a six foot and change, super muscular woman. And when I first wrote the first draft of it, I gave it to my I, I told my wife, about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm working on this idea I had called uh, about a gladiatorial mud wrestler. And she's like, I don't like that. Like, <laughs> she immediately, I was like, no, 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 trust me. It's cool. And she's like, I, I don't like that idea. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm, this is a woman's rights book. It's, it's about like the struggle. And, and so, and you know, it's not perfect for that, but it, it, you know, and maybe it's not my story, but it is because my, my artist who's very much into that, um, it was Michelle Millette on that book. Um, mm -hmm. she was, she was very much into like this idea of like, you know, making like, like, let's make a biracial character. Let's make a, you know, a female character. Let's like not make her beautiful. And for me, like she's bald. So even though she has pink hair in the picture, mm -hmm she actually is just wearing a wig, you know, okay. cause you've got to like pretend like you're feminine, but you also want these giant Amazonian women, you know, it's basically WWE in mud, but with real weapons. Yes. And um, so it's all like prepped beforehand and it's all fake, but you know, you still have to be like top of your physical game. It's not like 19 earlys, like 1980s, uh, early eighties wrestling where you could be like, you know, big chunky dude, like just, you know, you have to be like a bodybuilder. And so, um, you know, I, I always try like writing my characters like that. Like the Crim Sisters is based on, I'm a sucker for those like 1960s biker girl like yes. movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I just rewatched Switchblade Sisters. I love that, like, the 1950s style of, of like, how everything was perfect. You, know, you saw it out at, like, Edward, Edward Scissorhands, but there's, like, a ton of media, you know, including my own, that, like, brings up how insidious and dark that world is. Like, um, I actually just rewatched uh, Fido. I don't know if you guys, uh, guys ever saw that. That came out in 06. Um, was that the uh, Fido? Fido. It's no. a zombie movie. Okay. It's uh, like a so, short film. No, no, it's a feature no? film. It's got um. What what's her I'm face from the Matrix or something? I guess. But um, what's her face from the Matrix? Uh, uh, why am I blanking Carrie on her name? Yeah, Carrie Ann Moss. She's in okay. that. Um, and it's it's about like a 1950s after a zombie apocalypse, and so they're living in these gated communities, mm -hmm. and um, they have to uh. But they have like zombies enslaved with neck, you know, neck things, uh -huh. and so they're using. It's a brilliant movie. Nobody ever saw it, but it's all 1950s, but like absolutely horrifying because you have these zombies everywhere. Yes, and they're basically Wonderful. enslaved. And the question is like, are they still alive? It's mm -hmm. like, I don't know. So are they enslaving real alive people, or are they just you know using corpses? And it's actually a really cool flick. But a lot of people, um, another one was Crybaby. Like, oh, oh know, yes, um, yes, I'm very familiar with you know, John Baby. Waters' Crybaby. <laughs> yeah. um, same thing with that. I love that. Absolutely. Adore. I mean, John Waters is is the man. Like, mm -hmm. has been one of the greats. You know, can't make movies anymore because like that budget of film is gone. Yep. But he was he was anyway. Sorry about that, guys. I no no please. I tangent. Ta tangents Good. completely <laughs> welcome. Absolutely, we we love it. We um, go off on so many tangents. <laughs> yeah, we go off on a lot of tangents, and I think that look as as a listener to podcasts and listeners to yeah. uh, interviews and stuff like that. It's it's really important to us to kind of look. Anybody can bring on a, a creator to their show and kind of talk about their project. That's that's something that that a lot of people do, and and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's it's obviously a, a good form of entertainment, a good a good way to get you interested in a project or whatever. We kind of like to be in, more involved, like in what's going on in the process, what's going yeah, on yeah. in that creator's mind to get them to the point to where they create, like. We like to kind of offer like a bridge to our listeners who yeah. might be interested in getting into writing or, or creating, yeah. uh, maybe it might be art, whatever, whatever form of media that they're interested in. Um, it, it's important to hear these things because a lot of us, it's very intimidating too. Yeah. Like even, even something like setting up a podcast for the first time was very intimidating to me. I thought I'd never get it out there. Uh, if I did, I sure as hell wouldn't have anybody listen to it. And, and here we are, you know, we're, we're quite a few episodes in, we've got a, a a pretty good listener base. Um, and, and it's just, it's probably the same thing with you. You, you got into writing, uh, whatever you're writing looks like you're, you're kind of all over the place. You definitely write comics and then you write other things as well. Yeah. So that's really cool, but we'd like a peek into your mind and into yeah. your process of creation and into what inspires you. That's, that's more or less a lot of the things that we like to talk about here. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, so yes, feel free. Any, any I mean, you got, we'll take. I mean, if, if you want to know, like, so process is, I treat it like work. I'm very fortunate. My wife has a real job. She's a, uh, <laughs> she's, she's got the real job. <laughs> she, you know, she's got a master's in math. She's, she's a nice. product owner for a banking software company. I, I'm the first to admit that I'm in a very privileged position in having the time. So right. I treat it like work Monday to Friday. It's, mm -hmm. it's what I do. I'm working on you know, either writing or, you know, we're trying to get this YouTube channel thing we're doing right now um, yes. uh, with uh, this, this other, uh, it's an, another uh, partner of mine uh, named uh, Francisco Ruiz Velasco. He's a concept artist okay. and he and I are doing this uh, little show. Well, we, we're doing this little YouTube show uh, cartoon called uh, Warriors of the Septic Seas. 
Yes, with, and, and I looked at that. I think you have three episodes up. We have three full episodes uh-huh. up. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of views, but you know, it's it's a like three minute cartoon. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's not for every and it's about guys riding poop, which I think <laughs> like hey. you know it's going to turn a lot of people off. Um, but that's okay. Like so, but for my process, the big one is like I mean the best way I can call it. It's like um, so I was raised Catholic. I'm not Catholic, mm-hmm. but I was raised Catholic. Sure. Um, and it's that guilty con, con, uh, compulsion. So mm-hmm. I don't have a choice. If if I don't write, if I don't feel like I've spent my time writing or doing creating the way I want to create, mm-hmm. I feel guilty. Yep. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I do, no matter what distraction, and mind you, I am a man of distractions. Like <laughs> I I you know I play Magic the Gathering, I collect comic books, I collect toys, mm-hmm. I, I I enjoy spending time watching movies with my wife. I met her at the movies. Like I am, <laughs> I I love um. I love all the the distractions in this life, you know, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. if I do not get my work done, I feel unbelievably, uh, unbelievably guilty and I, it won't go away. Like nothing I can do will go away for it. So for me, like, and I, so many people I've worked with, so I used to work as an assistant cameraman in film. Like that was a big um, thing that I was doing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we're gonna get a dog appearance. We'll, we'll mute our mic so you can keep. Talking. No, no, it's totally cool. I mean, it doesn't bother. Me. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I don't have pets. I'm a. My last pet was a tarantula we had for a few years, and uh, she passed away. Her name was Gwen Stacy. Um, yeah, yeah, but she just passed away uh, like two years ago. And but we had her for like six or seven years. We had her for a little while. Um, just not pet people. Like like we tried, but she and I are. Uh, we like being able to leave when we want to. And so, um, but, but yeah. the big, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, if we want to go out for a weekend or just go out in the evening, we just don't want to have to think about it. And so we've thought about getting another pet anyway, back mm-hmm. to, um, so for, for the, the other thing is, you know, I always keep, um, I don't have one. Of course I say, I always keep one on me and then I don't have one. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Well, I'm at my desk, so I don't need to have one, but I keep these little notepads in my butt. Not up the butt, just you know, in the pocket <laughs> no, of the butt. Okay, no. I mean, wherever you can, you want to keep it, you know that. Sure. And I always carry a pen, and you know, I've I've tried sending myself notes on the phone, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I never check them. But my little notebook, if I come up with an idea for a story or for like just even a line, like you know, they're, they're, I'm constantly working on extra stories. Like like uh, right now, I'm. Well, I've got a pile. Uh, I think like three or four books I'm working on currently, you know, side by side with what I'm doing with the uh, sisters. So um, just in the writing portion, you know, writing, rewriting, um, I'm working on one, like, well, I originally wrote it as a novel. It mm-hmm. wasn't working. And so I'm writing it as a one act play, but it's uh, um, this sci-fi, it's a silly, stupid sci-fi thing uh, where it's a guy who um, it, it's my version of like planetary colonization. Um, Cause okay. I think that's like the whole idea of it. Of, of like, oh, we'll send you to Mars. Like, would you go to Mars or would you go to another universe if you could? It's like, yeah, but you're never going to get there, bro. Like, yeah. like <laughs> oh, we're going to cryogenically freeze you. Bullshit. You're dying on the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, or, you know, we have a, a pod and it's it's everybody lives there. It's like, okay, so your greatest, great, great 40 generations down grandchildren might make it there. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay, if you're lucky. The truth <laughs> is you're not going to make it there. And so it's about a dude who's a, a clone of the dude. And so, like, I was like, well, you know, we might not be able to send people over, but we can send the stuff to make people and mm-hmm. the memories of people. And so, anyway, it's, 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 I'm working on it. It's all working. I, I, I got piles of things I'm working on. 
that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I definitely wanted to ask you, so, so kind of how we wanted to start it was we definitely wanted to hear about your history in comics. And it sounds like you have like a rich history in in comics. And and what I mean by that is of course, like collecting or reading. Um, I look, Bob and I are are kids of the eighties. Like we're, we're, we're in our, our late thirties at the very least. And uh, years old now. So, (laughs) okay. Well, Bob's 40, I guess, but um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so look like for somebody like me, I remember, you know, going to the, the newsstand, the local shops and, and and waiting for that Robin mini series to come out. And just, that was my first uh, adventure into collecting. And, and of course, you know, Bob's been around reading Archie comics since the late forties or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> we kind of want to know, you know, what got yeah. you into, into comics in the first place, what got you reading and then into collecting and, and, and all of that. No. Okay. That's a funny question. Not funny. I, uh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I got it. I got, I, I know the answer for that. So that okay. one works out really well for me. Um, so I've always owned comics. Like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I feel like no matter where in my life, I've always at least had some comic books. Like um, my father, when he was, uh, before he had me, he lived in uh, Okinawa when he was in the Air Force. Um, He always laments that when he moved away from there, he gave away his pile of comics, his giant pile of comics (laughs) from the late 70s, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And he he always laments that uh, when he talks like, if a comic comes up, he's like, oh, yeah, I had that comic. I had that comic. I'm like, oh, yeah, Hulk 181. I had about 12 of those. <laughs> okay, first, no, actually, so you want to yeah. – the funniest one for me is his wife prior to my mother. Um, They've been married for 40-something years, my mother and him. But mm-hmm. uh, my mother and my father have been married 40 years. But before that, he was married. And her father was supposed to give him a Superman one. Oh. <laughs> before oh, she was oh. a cheating dirtbag and, and you know, sure. he, he divorced her. But – he was like, I was like, why didn't you just stay for the book? Yeah, exactly. Wait, get the book, then leave. Exactly. And he's, like, he's like, it wasn't worth it then. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it was, you know, and it was, I mean, I always bring that up for like, I play Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing ads for Black Lotuses for 50 bucks. Yep. And I was like, I'm not, I was, I was working at McDonald's 440 an hour before taxes. <laughs> like, I'm not spending two days working hoping to buy a Black Lotus. You know, this card for this kid's card game that's going to, you know, go. It's not going to be worth it in 20 years. Sure. Um, so I always own. But yeah, so I always own comics. And my father was always like, you know, into comics, collecting. Like, I remember a really special time for us was when I was young, was collecting all those Spider-Man. I think it was 30th anniversary. You know, yeah. the hologram covers, like, uh-huh. the, you know, first appearance of Spider-Man, Black, uh, 20, 2099, the black yeah. cover one. Um, the red, like, and we were going to the comic shops. And so that's one of those, like, that was the first collecting moment i remember like okay. where it was like it and and those books aren't even worth that much the black one's finally going up because 2099 is about to show up in um the second spider-verse movie which masterpiece the first one was a masterpiece I'm oh yeah can't wait to see the second one Jesus. cannot wait so rant, uh like jacked for that one um but that was the first moment collecting but that's also tied in so i i stopped buying floppies for almost 10 years mm-hmm. um for about 10 years um, and it's tied in around that time. Uh, my, uh, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm 13, 12, 13 years old, something along those lines. <laughs> and I have like, let's be honest, I can convince my parents to buy me like one, two, three comics a month if I'm lucky. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's, I mean, if I'm lucky, I get that second and third one at the Naval Exchange. But let's be honest, I'm probably getting like one comic a month. Mm-hmm. So at that time, 
uh, I was a big, you know, we were Batman fans. Everyone loves Batman, right? Sure. You know, okay. Especially then, absolutely. Exactly. Batman's back gets broken. Okay, cool. Does it get broken in the Batman comics? No, it gets broken in like eight comic books, mm -hmm. right? Like you're having to read, you know, the Robin book, this, the Batman book, the detective comic book. All the tie-ins to get All the, the ones, right? And as a, um, you know, so I love me some Batman. Oh, Green Lantern's really cool. Cool. You want to find out what happened to Green Lantern? Hope you're buying Green Lantern and Superman <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, you need to find out what happened at the end of Superman. So you know what happened to, uh, you know, uh, was it Coast City? So you know that why he became Parallax. I hope you're buying all those books. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, you know, look at you. You're, you're covered in hair. Your, your father's covered in hair. You love Wolverine. Of course I love Wolverine. <laughs> well, I hope you're buying all the comics so you know what happened to Wolverine's skeleton. You know, and, you're, and so it became this situation where I was like, dude, I, I can't read these comics. Like, I can't mm -hmm. buy comic books fast enough to, to keep up with any story, much less you know, all these different stories. So I just like stepped back. I was like, I don't buy comics anymore. I'm done. And for about 10 years, I didn't buy comics. And then my wife and I, I met her in 2002. Mm -hmm. And for like that first Christmas, I got her a Harley Quinn comic off the, you know, floppy off the Kroger's uh, shelf. I got her a Harley Quinn cover, a comic, and I bought her a Catwoman comic. And then she got into comic books. She got really huge into cross-gen. Oh, so, wow. Okay. <laughs> so her big collecting thing is to collect every cross-gen comic. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone. And she's two-thirds of the way there. Wow. Well, it's nice because they're finite, right? They, yeah. they went out of business. So you only have, like, seven or 800 books you have to, like, collect. Yeah. And she's most of the way. Not like picking up every DC or Marvel or even Image or Batman. no, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, in one of her goals early on was I'm going to buy every Harley Quinn book. She's like, I'm going to buy every book where Harley Quinn appears, <laughs> yeah. and that used to be doable in the early 2000s, mm -hmm. right? Before Harley Quinn became, uh, yeah, not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> and so she, um, you know, so so you know, she has all the keys for Harley Quinn, um, but now it's like it's impossible to buy every single book, every single cover, every you know Harley Quinn piece. So. She's like, eh, I, I've got my keys. I'm going to sit there and then we'll buy. Uh... So she's just been hunting cross-gen now um, for hers. But yeah, that, that, but buying her those floppies insidiously snuck me into uh, buying comic books again, um, <laughs> collecting comics. And uh, mm -hmm. now I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I've got a, what I consider a decent collection. You know, I mean, I don't, I mean, it depends on what, what, like, is it the number? Is it the quantity? Uh, either one. <laughs> yeah. or, or the quality. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Well, mine, we're, we're not going to talk about my okay. problems here. <laughs> okay, so I'll throw an, a, a, a one number out. So, mm -hmm. um, oh, actually, I'll throw a couple things out. One is um, moving the collection, because we moved from Austin, Texas. Um, that's where we lived uh, uh, up until about six and a half, seven months ago, we moved in July. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is, um, so I'm getting rid of about 3000 books. Wow. Um, okay. Because I want to cut my collection a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but the big number is that, um, <laughs> so I have to move the collection and there are certain boxes that you bring in the car with you, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you have your like three short boxes of, mm -hmm. of books that you're like, I trust no one with these. Yes. I barely trust myself. They're at the center of the car. Everything Absolutely. is built around those books. To yeah, if another those. massive flood happens, these are right next to me and I'm holding them as I <laughs> swim or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I have one of those fireproof, waterproof bags for yeah. them. You know, like this is what you, they, they make those. They have them on Amazon, short mm -hmm. boxes that are like fireproof oh, wow. short boxes. Um, <laughs> I need so I've got one of those. Um, 
And um, but uh, so so we have that. But uh, I was a mean bastard. I, I tipped well. Let me say that I tipped well. Mm -hmm. But um, for the movers, I I I was I had to I, I originally was going to get the short box, wrap it in plastic, tape it, and then I was going to have them move it like that, right? Mm -hmm. And you know. But the more I looked at it, I was like, I don't know if I can trust the movers. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I can trust the movers. So I go to, because, and thank goodness I didn't. Let me preface what I'm about to say with thank goodness I didn't. Um, so I went to U-Haul and I got their bigger box and I put four short boxes in wow. each of those boxes. And I think it was like 15 of those boxes. Um so those boxes weigh over like a hundred pounds and I had like, absolutely easy. <laughs> and they came in like all my boxes came in destroyed. Like oh, luckily God. I only lost a few items. They did steal a couple of DSs that I had in some, a clear box. Like someone obviously broke into it and took, took the DSs out. So Man. that sucks. But like, you know, I, I hate that. Like I put them through having to move like hundred and something pound boxes, mm -hmm. you know, and that sucks. But if I hadn't, I don't even know how my collection would like have shown up. It would have been destroyed. You know, I really have no no doubt that it would have just been in, in garbage condition by the time I got it. If books weren't missing from there, you know, but the whole collection made it. So um, well, that's very good news. And, and look, you say you feel bad. I completely understand. I, I, I had a similar experience from moving from my last home to, to the one that I currently live in. Now I rent out two storage units to house mm. of my comic book collection yeah. but but in having those movers look uh you, you talked about tipping i tipped mine very well too uh yeah. but but they're there to lift things that's what they're there yeah. for yeah. they're there to do the things that we don't want to do so, I, so don't feel too bad well and i remember reaching that age where it was like i can't offer enough beer and pizza to like <laughs> subject my friends to this yeah like, so yes, you're just like i have to throw money at this problem Yep. Um, luckily we're, 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 you know, um, uh, doing well enough that we could do that, you know, thankfully, but, yes. um, but yeah, we moved, we moved from Austin about like seven months ago. And, and other than, uh, I mean, I, you know, we lost probably about a thousand bucks worth of stuff. Like admittedly our Roomba didn't make it, you know, a couple wow. of chairs didn't make it, you know, um, a couple of DSs didn't make it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, uh, th yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's me and collecting. And so for me, like I, you know, we use pre pandemic, we were hitting, three, four, five, six cons a, a year, you know, right. just going through the, 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 going through the, the, the long boxes, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I, I, the hunt is, is, it's beautiful. I have allergies, so I have to pop allergy pills before I do it. Cause the dust is going to kill me. Yep, but right. like, even now my eyes are all like squinty. Cause I'm like, didn't take my pill. Okay. Um, but, but going through it, it's, it, it it's, it's fun. And I, I don't know, like, even if it's like, like for me, ha um, my wife always laughs because her collection's smaller than mine, but worth as much as mine. Because she collects books that actually like people give a shit about. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like but this is, a, this is a blind walrus with a samurai sword. <laughs> it's so like, cool. <laughs> yeah, like, it's... well, I, I think, look, I, I can at least uh, relate. I'm, I'm completely guilty of that. I love mm -hmm. picking up weird off-the-wall stuff. Um, I want to talk about your your writing for a second now that okay, we sure, yeah. understand you're collecting a little bit. Uh, so you seem like you've been into writing for a long time. Is this like a lifelong endeavor for you? Have you always written? Is it something you got into at a specific age? And, and of course, I'll have follow-up questions for that yeah. as well. But, but I'd like to hear your experience in writing. Okay. Um, this is one. I'm, you know, I, I think I have to, like, pull the Band-Aid off this. So <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, I've always been an avid reader. My mother taught me to read before I even went to kindergarten. She yeah. was like, my mother was a, a migrant worker. Oh, wow. um, okay. And so like for her, like she, you know, eighth grade and she was out of school, like that mm -hmm. was that. And so she really always pushed um, reading, arithmetic, all these things, you know, she wanted me ready, ready for everything. And then, then I became a bum. Um, but, but, you know, she, uh, but she was very much into, into, uh, educating me. So I've always read and I read books, I read comics, everything. Um, but I'd never really written until I was like, okay, this is going to be horrible. But like, I think my first writing for fun was a, um, Mighty Max fan fiction. <laughs> Look, a lot of people, uh, I, I would say the majority of people that I've talked to start off with fan fiction. That's, that's just kind of where it goes. Well, you know, my, the thing mine too, mine was twilight zone fan fiction. So, Hey, I'm with you. <laughs> well, I think a big part is like, you know, creating your own universe, creating your own world is the daunting part, right? Yes. You know, mm -hmm. you can create a character you're like, okay, cool. I can work within these parameters. Yep. And then I can build from there. Like, so for me, I'm not, I don't read fan fiction. I'm not, this has never gotten published. Sure. Luckily I wrote it in pencil. So years later, I can barely even read it. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> like dissolve more, eat away at that paper. I don't want this in the universe when I'm gone. Like, oh. that's what I want. Um, And so, you know, it, but it's, I think a bit daunting. And I think that's why it's like easy to go fan fiction. But like, I also played a lot of like role-playing games like D&D &D and Robotech and mm -hmm. all these things when I was young. And those led me into like loving creating my own universe and amalgamating those ideas, you know, and going like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Street Fighter and, and Mortal Kombat had a crossover mm -hmm. and then they had kids and those kids did this <laughs> and you do this. And, and it allows you to like move on and, and, and create your own worlds from that. And you realize like, like Chantilly Mace, I had that idea in uh when i was a kid in high school and it was mm -hmm. originally like oh the idea was like what if guns never got invented and yes, i, like, I, I love that concept when i read it uh I, just that short little I, I don't know if we're supposed to call that like a log line or what no, but that short not. little synopsis there about the the girl in the universe where the the guns were never invented such an and, interesting and, concept and, I, and and that was the thing and so i ran with it you know and like as a kid you're like i'm thinking like and what if they had superpowers, right? And yeah. so they had like superpowers. They were like the fucking X-Men of this universe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But as an adult, like, I was like, you know, I think there's something there in that idea, right? Of guns never being invented. But like, how would that world actually be? So as a kid, you're just going derivative, right? You're building off of what you know. I know X-Men mm -hmm. and I know no guns. Okay, cool. Those are easy. But as an adult, you go into going like, well, what would have happened to the United States if we didn't have guns, you mm -hmm. know? It's like, oh, cool. Well, Japan would have probably, like, when we went over there with uh, what's his face? Um, why am I blanking on his name? He has the same name as the the former governor of Texas, or anyway, it, it, anyway. Um, no, you know, you go over to you go over to Japan, and instead <laughs> of having like the ability to like subjugate them and go like you're gonna trade with us because we have guns, mm -hmm. suddenly they're like, no, 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 we have the same weapons as you, and they yeah. chase them right back, and they take over California and start coming over, <laughs> you know. And then you know the indigenous people of the United States aren't suddenly subjected to the same kind of like, you know, death and destruction. So, you mm -hmm. know, places like I, I said it in Austin, but I had it as a city state, you know, you yeah. know, surrounded by a wall, afraid of everything on the other side of the wall, because they're, you know, they're scary people. You know, if you see something, say something to to the native people and they're, they're you know, and and so it becomes much more like almost like mega cities, you know, and Dr Judge Dread, right, where it's like yes. these little little areas separated by really long um, swaths. And yeah, sure. Like then small you're, factions and all that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, you have, you know, you have tribes, you have war mm -hmm. tribes, you have peace tribes, you have, you know, people just trying to get by. 
And then it was like, okay, well, what character? And, you know, I'm running through the cool ones. Like, oh, if, what if it's a dude? And he's like, and I was working at Best Buy at the time. And he's like, what is the geek squad in this world? And I was like, <laughs> what if they have to go to like remote like areas? And he's like, he's got, and I'm watching Mad Max. And I'm like, oh, so they're driving the car. But then you need a dude on top, like fighting off the, the, the people on the motorcycles. And yeah. I'm like, it's cool, but I don't want cool. Like, what about like, what's their entertainment? And then I'm like, oh, well, they wouldn't want what we would normally watch. They wouldn't want something more violent, right? Mm -hmm. The normal every, you know, and, and like normal people can't even own guns in that world or not guns. They can't own weapons. You know, it's much more like feudal Japan where, you know, they're having to use like, um, uh, you know, farm implements. Right. Yes. And so you would have like a select few who, who had it. And then everyone else is just enjoying warfare. And I was like, well, it'd be funny if it's like, they over-sexualize, over-violentize, like, you know, WWE. Mm -hmm. So you put it in mud and then you give them weapons. And, you know, but it's not like it's a pleasant experience for her either. Like, you know, you watch a movie like The Wrestler and you realize, like, what this is doing to their bodies. So she's jacked up on steroids, you know? Yep. She's dealing with, like, you know, hair loss. She's dealing with, like, you know, taking all these drugs she shouldn't be ingesting in her body just to kind of get by. But her father also has, like, complete control of her money because she's an unmarried woman, you mm -hmm. know? And so, and then she's afraid of getting married and then just transferring that over because, you know, suddenly, you know, the ability to like um, be a woman who's independent doesn't exist when you don't have guns, you know, she mm -hmm. can't just shoot her husband um, or <laughs> yeah. at least that's my idea on it. And sure. so, um, you know, there's, there's no equalizer, you know, whether we like it or like, don't get me wrong, I'm not a gun nut. Okay, mm -hmm. let me preface that. But, <laughs> but you know, as a, a tool for what it can like, take non-soldiers and put them on a more equal footing with a soldier mm -hmm. has historically done certain things. You know, it's allowed people to go like, you know, oh yeah, yeah, you're a soldier. I'm a soldier or I'm not a soldier, but I have a gun and I can shoot you in the face, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and it, it equalized historically. Um, and, and not having that weapon there, I think, you know, change things. And so that's, that's what, what, what happened. And now I tangented and forgot where I was, where we started. <laughs> um, well, no, you're fine. I mean, we were just talking about you, you getting into to writing in your first projects and everything. So that was, yeah, that was definitely, you know, Oh uh, yeah. 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 So yeah, yeah that kind of where we wanted to go with that. So that's, that's perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I went to a film school, so that okay. would actually be oh, wow. from there. Um, I, yeah. so I, actually, I saw the this trailer for your film flutter. Flutter. I co-wrote yeah. the story on that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, very, um, that was very the biggest, that was the biggest flick we did. Um, mm -hmm. we've got, I've got another, um, feature that we shot. So that movie, so, okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. So the guy who directed that I went to film school with, okay. um, uh, he and I, uh, and he's, he's a spectacular director, directed another movie. I'm going to plug his old film uh, called Rainbow's End, which I think mm -hmm. is a, a masterpiece. It's probably one of my favorite movies I ever worked on. It was the first thing I ever did. And I was a, I drove the van behind the bus on their way to California. So it's, he calls oh, wow. it the Muppet movie, but with East Texans um, instead. <laughs> it's a very fun, very cool. They built a stage on top of it because no one would book it. So, mm -hmm. so this band built a stage and the band claims they built their drum kit from pieces of the space shuttle that oh, wow. crashed in Nacogdoches because that's where we went to college. Uh -huh. And one guy believes it's 1970. Another is a gay baton twirling sorcerer. Um, <laughs> another guy's a cockfighter who wants to bring his his cocks out west so he can he can put them in the movies and they become big stars and he can make a <laughs> thing like that. And so they get into this school bus and then drive um, from East Texas all the way to California to to make it. And um, and so he and I have been really good friends for a very long time. And um, we uh, 
And so uh, he he dealt with some personal problem, uh, like family issues. Mm-hmm. And so he and I, he came to me with this idea. And then, you know, I, I pitched him ideas back and forth. And, and that's kind of our process. He and I've written, I think, three or four films together. Now I'm tr- I know at least three. Wow. But we wrote that one. We had before that, though, we were working on a movie called Marcus Infinity. It hasn't gotten released yet. But it, um, because we haven't finished it like 12 <laughs> years later. Wow. Um, and it's it was about a vampire, a guy who claims he's a vampire. And he hires a film crew and says that he can't die until he becomes famous. Mm-hmm. And so he tries becoming YouTube famous like 12 years ago. <laughs> um, and uh, but he's just like kind of overweight guy. He has no fangs. He has no proof of his, you know, he can go out in the sunlight and everything like that. But <laughs> he, um, he he claims that he's a vampire. And then. Uh, and and so we shot like 90% of that film and then funding showed up for Flutter and we kind of abandoned that one because, you know, here's the movie with, you know, Glenn Morshower was attached to that, who, mm-hmm. you know, he was in Transformers. He was in, um, uh, what was that? A uh, bunch of stuff, actually. Um, the, was it Modern Warfare video games? Okay. Um, he's in, t- if you watch him, you'll if you'll see him, you're like, oh, I know him. He's in like 40 yeah, movies. I know sure. that guy. One of those um, guys. <laughs> he's military forever. <laughs> yeah, always, always, always plays it. And he does such a great job. Um, mm-hmm. But he was, he was, he was on to it. And then we had um, uh, Jesse Plemons from, um, uh, he was in Breaking Bad at that time, mm-hmm. you know, like, and so, so we, uh, we had a, like a, a lot of really cool people on it. And so money had shown up and it was like, let's pursue that. And we pursued that. Sure. And that meant the other movie we made had to get put in the back burner. And, um, uh, and so he and I, I've, I've, I've worked on, on those kind of things. And so, uh yeah I w- it, and we have one other script that we have completely like haven't developed anything from yet but mm-hmm. um he was he was he was someone like that but yeah we had met men in film school i mean my wife in film school too um uh, but she wasn't going for film she was getting a real degree but i warned her <laughs> i warned her i was like i'm gonna make movies that nobody <laughs> watches and i'm not gonna make any money and she's like she's like that's, that's cool okay. I'll, I'll handle the money part i'll um, handle the thing um i i like that you point out the fact that uh and, and getting into the process of writing and producing content and all of that, a lot of people kind of forget that, like a, a lot of times we're, we're just kind of, you know, privy to, to what big Hollywood's doing or, or big names out there in the, in the universe, these big writers and everything that the, the Joss Whedon's, the James yeah. Dodd's, the whatever. Um, a, a lot of times people are juggling so many different projects and just looking for the outlet to get that out, yeah. to get that, you know, in a way, like you were saying with the films or with this yeah. uh, as a Kickstarter and stuff, funded so you can so you can completely realize that project get it out to the masses and then work on the next volume of it or or work on the next thing that you're doing or whatever um how does that how does something like that i guess let me let me think of the proper way to phrase this how do you deal with something like that because that has to be very hard i know like when i write something and again i i no acclaim whatsoever i haven't produced it or published anything at all but um but i know when when i'm writing I have things that I'm working on and I have multiple things that I'm working on. And then I, something usually takes uh, president over something else. I'm, I'm yeah. usually like, Hey, here's the thing. This is the thing. These other things are cool and I'll get to those later, but this is the thing. And then, and then you think of something and you say to yourself, well, shit, now I'm going back to this thing because I have an idea for this, or now yeah. I think I can fully realize this project or, or in your case, now I have funding for this. How do you go back and forth and juggle those things and still, still, engulf yourself in those universes and, and, and get them out there to talk about them. So um, I think, I think this might like, so um, 
so okay so the way i met wayne wayne's the mm -hmm. artist on uh the crim sisters um mm -hmm. i uh i put a post on comic the comic collab subreddit sure uh and i was like hey th these are my credentials i'm looking for an artist it's paid you know mm -hmm. um you know i i that was a big key for it is like i hate to say it because it sucks chantilly mace was done without any money and that's why i never got issue number two done michelle sure. was kind enough to to help me with the book we did a kickstarter it was successful you know it funded the printing of the book but neither of us made any money on it you know mm -hmm. um it, it, it cost money um and so with wayne um i honestly i sent him three i, I put together lookbooks I'm, I'm used to it in film right mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when i'm doing a project i just put together a lookbook like as part of the project like okay cool here's the idea here's some of the characters here's here's like some of the concept art and me I, I tend to also one thing i i would recommend a lot of people when you're writing a thing if you have an idea if it's if it's derivative from anything and i mean that in a positive way i don't mean derivative as a negative way sure. um start grabbing images and make yourself a folder i know some people do pinterest boards mm -hmm. i'm a curmudger i just have a folder on my my hard drive that i just save everything to and for for every project each different project gets its own so you know the crim sisters has its own thing poop riders has its own things that are like inspirational to it you know uh the crim sister one's full of uh retro futurism and rocky horror and tank girl stuff and you know mm -hmm. um you know cry baby or like weird machines that i find like you know or oh yeah i have this character idea cool if i see a hairstyle even i'll say that mm -hmm. um so but then i put together a lookbook and so i actually wasn't locked into the Crim Sisters is the book we were going to work on. I just sent Wayne three of my lookbooks. I was like, I'm thinking about doing one of these three projects. I think you'd be good for these three. One of these three. What do you think? And he's like, I like, at that point, I like Stars and Garters. Um, and um, so I was like, he's like, because I don't want to write this. I don't want to do teenager stuff because the other ones are uh, like more teenager, not teenager friendly. One of them's the the uh, the Teen Mutant Ninja Turtles -y one, you know, the, the derivative of that one. And then, yes. Um, and then the other one is, uh, a, 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 that one I'm not ready to announce yet, but that one's actually my, my wife cried when she read the script. She loved it. <laughs> it's her, my favorite script she I've written so far and she loved it, but he's like, I don't like that one. He's like, I want to do this one. And I was like, cool. And so for me, I was like, well, then that's, that's the one I'm running with, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Cause I don't want the artist. Like I didn't want to like dictate to him. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was hiring him to do a job. Sure. you know um and uh job makes it sound but you know what i mean i'm hiring him to do some yeah some but you want him to be passionate about the project that he's working on i want him to be in you know mm -hmm. and and uh he says that issue two is better than issue one <laughs> so uh, i already sent him issue two uh i i finished that up and i sent it to him and he, he was he's like i like this one better my wife is like i like issue two better i'm like of course you do because <laughs> issue one is supposed to be not boring but it's just like you're cutting up veggies you know yeah. you're setting it up like, <laughs> You know, the yeah, potatoes, and, are there, but, you know, sure. And and speaking of, of setting it up, like yeah. when when I first cracked this open, look, Bob and I both read this kind of, you know, online. Um, and yeah. and, and of course, that's it's, it's not yet uh, published in, in a um, regular like floppy format or anything. Yeah. Um, but but hopefully that's hopefully what we're hoping. Be, for. Yes, that's the yeah. goal here. So so hopefully we can hold it in our hands and read it soon because. Geez, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, it was wonderful to read just on my phone, but um, but yes, of course, realizing the the full world building and art and everything. I wanted to talk about the world building yeah. because, sure, like you are, you have crafted this world. This world is that's that's one of the things. Look, in in each episode of this podcast, Bob and I take a, a brand new comic book that that had come out this week, and and we kind of break it down. We talk about the story beats, the world building, the the narrative, the dialogue, all of those things. 
we don't really give anything like a like a one through ten rating. We're not that kind of podcast, yeah. but we're more like, hey, do we think that our listeners should move on to issue number two? That's what we yeah. do here. So, um, so for the most part, you know, most of the time, uh, we strongly suggest that people move on to issue number two. Um, every now and again, you know, we're like, eh, leave it in the dust, whatever. Um, but but world building is is like super important to us for especially for a first issue and. I mean, the amount of world building that you're doing here in this issue. Um, world, I'm building a universe. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it's completely beyond a world. Um, you have I call so it the universe, actually. So the yes. little mu symbols, the universe. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's just so much going on here. I'd love to hear like your creative process on that. Um, even, even something as, you know, the names, they all fit yeah. well together here. Everything gels. Um, it's just, it's very impressive what you've done with this universe. So thank you on that. You're like yeah. that dude, that actually is like, it's not an insignificant amount of work. Like, you know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's one where it's like doing that. Like I, I have notes even with, so they don't have the same days of the week or the same months even okay. on that planet. And uh -huh. so I renamed all the planets or all the, all the dates and months and everything like that. You know, so there's like all sorts of like things. And and mind you, Suburbarium, which is the first planet you're on, uh -huh. um, we don't see it again for a while. Okay. Like uh, like she leaves, um, you know, Ariadne and, and Shirley leave the planet and we're going somewhere completely different. The, the next issue, actually, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say we meet we meet a character named Armory mm -hmm. and the uh, refusal field, which the refusal field is basically where all the junk of the universe goes, um, <laughs> okay. you know, like a refuse field, a refusal. And so sure. it's the refusal field, but you, you meet a character named Armory, who is this uh, nun who lives on a metal moon, mm -hmm. uh, a robot nun living on a metal moon. Um, and <laughs> so, awesome. and then, you know, the golden brother, we see their planet um, shows up, which it's, uh, it's named Giltarium, mm -hmm. uh, G-I-L-T, um, Giltarium. Um, and then, so my, my naming convention for all the planets is the Arium. So we're going to see a water planet, which it's going to be called Aquarium. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so um, I, I but but for me, like that's that's the joy I find in in like a story like this. It's like, why stick to what what you're accustomed to? Like, you know, Rocky Horror was a huge inspiration on this. Like, I'm a massive mm -hmm. Rocky Horror fan. Um, I think it's it's one of those like great pieces of like combination of music and and making fun again of that 1950s like awkwardness but you know the key to frankenfurter is he's he's sexy dangerous right yeah. he's not mm -hmm. just like oh it's a beautiful woman being beautiful and you know film noir it's like no no it's a dude <laughs> but like okay yeah you know yeah. um and you know um but you know in that one you know it's it's the planet of uh was it transylvania in the mm -hmm. galaxy of uh you know, it's, 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 of course, now I forget all of it, but like, even in that, and it's always just like a throw off line. It's not like they focus on, we never mm -hmm. see those planets, but they're there. And so for me, like all of that is important. Like, you know, we're going to see a character show up called the quote, who's, uh, you know, the queen of all time. She's mentioned, um, that's what quote, you know, cause you have the, the greatest of all time. Mine's the queen of all time. So it's the quote, um, <laughs> and she, 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 she becomes very, very important, um, to the story uh longer on and you realize like just how dangerous she is you know she's 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 this super powerful uber being like one of the scenes i want is going to be her like you know on on a planet walking with a cape and her cape is literally stretching around the planet you know it's it's it's, <laughs> it's big um that's amazing and, 
and and I like the idea of like we're in comic books. Comic books as a medium, the thing I love the most is it doesn't cost me any more to have that image or the image of a planet of of, of cul-de-sacs like like Suburbarium <laughs> as it costs for you know the same exact scenes of Shirley talking with meddling Mary in her kitchen. Mm -hmm. They're the same amount of money. So why would we want her talking in her kitchen when we can like let's go let's go crazy. Let's show the universe. Let's 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 show these like wild planets with weird fungi and 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 metal planets and and you know space fields and all this. So for me, like I'm like if if we have it, why not like why not do it? You know, Godzilla costs us the same amount of money as like Joe Schmo talking. Like I'm reading um the current run of She-Hulk, because I'm a massive She-Hulk fan. Oh, yeah. Um, the current run of She-Hulk's great. Absolutely. It, it's a little too much talking. Mm -hmm. I'm yeah, like, it's I dialogue heavy. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. It's good, and it actually reminds me of the old romance comics, which, mm -hmm. if you're into those, this is the way to find it. Right yeah. there. You go with your old She-Hulk. But, like, um, you know, if you look at the old John Byrne run during Sensational, mm -hmm. I, I point upstairs because that's where my collection is. <laughs> up there. Here. Um, so it's, up, it's over there. Mm -hmm. Um uh, you know, they've got a baloney universe, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, as a sensational, I think it's 13. It's Howard the Duck in the baloney verse. John Byrne wasn't on that book, but, uh, or it wasn't on it at that point. But, you know, my, my point is like, go wild. Like, give us the crazy universe. Like, give us like all the weird stuff you you could possibly want to see. And, but, but make it cohesive. That's, that's the other thing too, is, is it's got to interlock with each other. Like, I know it's all silly because it is like naming a planet suburbarium is a silly name um and it's gonna get sillier like mm -hmm. but i also want to temper that with it being like an emotional story you know it, it surely is not just you know prototypical <sighs> 1950s housewife you know you find out a lot more about her history in specifically the second the second issue we find out a lot more about her you know ariadne you find out a lot more about her history like the beginning of issue two is going to be essentially her her history um and and you know and that planet that she's from, which is Illyrium, is uh, this this uh, Greek style planet. And so, but but you know, it's like, oh, okay, cool. So let's take it up a notch. Like, why 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 do it? Like, why do a little Colosseum when we can do it even bigger? Like, everything must be bigger and and better and bolder. And uh, I'm uh, uh, that's what I want to see in comic books. Like like you know, I, I'm fine with the personal human story. Flutter was that. You know, Flutter was a story of of. You know, uh, you know, uh, it's a kid who's got horizontal nystagmus and glaucoma and he's dealing with, you know, his mother's, you know, I mean, they're living in abject poverty. But, you know, that one was full of like animated sequences that we wrote in there because we were like, you know, what's what the kids see? You know, yeah, we see that he's got a 200 something pound pig. But, you know, <laughs> what 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 is the kid actually seeing when when he's imagining these things? And so for yeah. me, it's about going, you know, yeah. Well, I really like that. I really like that you point that out because I think that a lot of times you have your kind of two different camps and what comics should be. And, and there's no answer. I mean, comics yeah. should just be whatever the creator wants them to be, whatever yeah. the reader's reading, you know, whatever people are buying, whatever. Yeah. But um, a, a lot of times we circle back from these high concept ideas with with all this world building. And then, you know, you have that loud portion of the public or the comic book reading public or whatever who, who wants things grounded and they want it more gritty and they want it set in their backyard. And I'm just, yeah. look, I'm personally, I love Luke Cage. I, I, I love Daredevil. I love things like that. Of course I love Spider-Man. Um, but, but I love these huge high concept things. I mean, Saga is one of my favorite books of yeah. all time. Uh, it's, it's so well written and it's great how they just explore that universe. Yeah. Of course, I think that we're, 
I mean, I can't speak for you, Tony, but I, I, I'm pretty sure everyone is at least somewhat of a fan of, of uh, the original Star Wars trilogy. And, oh, and <laughs> I, I wore lightsabers to my wedding. <laughs> there so, you go. See, exactly. Yeah. Um, so cool. It's it's that world building. It's that that yeah. high concept world building that really kind of draws you in. And and again, like the street level, the the this takes place in my own neighborhood, mm-hmm. in my own backyard. There's definitely a place for that, and I 100%. love that. But um, it's that high concept storytelling that really sells me, that really gets me deeply involved in a comic book where I just want to read an entire trade versus a single issue. Well, I, I think you're 100%. So that's a couple things. That's one of the reasons why we decided. So the book I gave you guys was originally actually supposed to be split into two issues. So mm-hmm. I originally wrote that as two issues. Yeah. And then I was working on it with Wayne and I was like, so I got frustrated Chantilly Mace. So Chantilly Mace was one issue and then we never got issue two, three, and four, which was the arc. Mm-hmm. And so for this one, I was like looking at it, I was like, she gets off of Suburbarium by the end of, of I mean, the name of the book is Escape from Suburbarium. <laughs> sure, sure. She escapes. Spoiler, uh, alert. <laughs> spoiler alert for everybody. She escapes by the end of issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, she, uh, where was I going with this? Ah, I got lost. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, she, uh, Shit, I did get lost. <laughs> All right, where were we? Back me up for just a second. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we were just uh, talking. About, yeah, we were just talking about that that world building that uh, how you know the stories that the high. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Stories. So yeah. So, but uh, I was gonna actually say uh, before I tangented there was I was actually um I love street level stories, but one of the big things that I think is really interesting about comic books, unlike let's say even live action film, I love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to school for it. It's what I do or what I did for uh, quite a while there. I love live action film, but at the end of the day, a dude is a dude is a dude. Mm-hmm. When you don't go into animation, you, you shoot a dude and he can look dark and gritty. He can look bright and shiny, but at the end of the day, it's a dude. The beauty behind comics is like, I just started reading Sweet Paprika last night. Oh, yeah. You know, I just reread um, all of Hellboy. I just mm-hmm. read um, Eric Campbell's um, Goon, okay. um, which if you haven't read his Hillbilly book, his Hillbilly book is spectacular. No, um, see, I, I've read Sweet Paprika. I have not read Goon or. or uh, actually, I have to say, I'm a much bigger fan of Hillbilly than I am of um of uh of of Goon. Goon, um, okay. Goon is good, but I think mm-hmm. Hillbilly's a, a more interesting story. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, for me, at the end of the day, like we have all these different styles inherent in the medium. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your your let's say Dave Gibbons, which looks great for Watchmen, right? Mm-hmm. But um, you don't want Frank Cho doing that book right (laughs) you know and that's okay and Mm -hmm. that's what makes it so good you know if you draw in a like a sikowitz style where it's like crazy and wild and gritty and dark Mm -hmm. then and you want to go realistic and and dark like that's great that's perfect for that book but there's an inherentness to the the artwork that allows you to go weirder allows you to go bigger if you want and none of those are wrong you know if if you're into like all i want is I, i it has to be like it has to be like the Transformers movies versus the 80s Transformers uh, cartoon. It's mm-hmm. like, why not both? Like yep. both can like coexist and you can go, you know, you can have Unicron, man, like, you know, voiced by uh, Orson Welles. And mm-hmm. that is okay in that one, but it's not going to work in the live action because you've gotten, you know, realistic and gritty and Shia LaBeouf. And I love me some old Shia LaBeouf back in the day, but man, hey. I even liked him in the Charlie's Angels movie. I'll, I will defend both those terrible mcg movies Uh, (laughs) but i have a whole list of those movies i'm willing to defend um but i i think um but i think with comics that's something that's like 
not overlooked, but like, you know, you, you had like the 90s where everybody was mimicking that image style. And that was yep. kind of a little rough because it did, I feel like, force the comics to not necessarily ground because those guys went crazy, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, but gritty everything. Right. Yep. Um, and in the 80s, it was, you know, that like really shiny and perfect, like look up until, you know, Frank Miller and all that. Mm -hmm. But I think. I think the comics themselves like lend themselves to allowing you to explore all those things and whatever you're into, that book is probably out there for you a little more. I think with, you know, like manga, they're really great about it. the Japanese with, mm -hmm. with what they do with manga is so much better than what we do over here. I actually think we need to see like more of those like mundane stories. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to buy them. I want the weird stuff. <laughs> um, but I think that like, that's an untapped audience um, is like books, like even like She-Hulk, which, you know, like the last few issues have been really good because I get a little more action in them and a little more pathos. But I really think those first, I think, six or so issues where it's dealing more with like her interactions with uh, Jack of Hearts um, could be really or like and could be an interesting book. Like, where is the you know romantic life of of superheroes? Like, that's got to be tough dating in your, you know, dating in your greens, you know, dating in tights. It's got to be a. Uh... Yeah, that's something they even were able to kind of convey in the in the Disney Plus She-Hulk show. Of course, yeah. it didn't revolve around that, but that was yeah. like a, a big plot point, uh, sort of what's going on in her dating yeah. life. And it is. It's something very interesting. It's something that I think, at least to an extent, all of us kind of wonder reading those comic books. Yeah. This is a, a, a person who's out there, you know, doing those things. Yeah. It's not – she's not relegated to just uh, – superheroing out all the time yeah. and, and hulking out and that's all she does uh she's more than that she's of course a, an attorney and 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 everything she has going on in her personal life and and it's it's interesting that you say that because it's those it's that m kind of mindset that you know gets you to create it gets you to create yeah. your own universe or your own world or your own characters where you say well i might not be a writer on she hulk but what would my character do in this situation yeah. what would my character's dating life be like in in this um I think, you know, throughout reading your book here and you talked a little bit at the beginning about uh, Tank Girl. Um, yeah. I love kind of the influence that I that I did notice with Tank Girl there. And I, I wasn't able to pinpoint that until you said it. But yeah. after you said it, of course, yeah, I, I see it. And it's it's wonderful. And it's more uh, kind of an homage to to that yeah. kind of uh, look and, and storytelling. Um, so. I'm definitely, I don't think I need to ask you what your inspiration for this book was, because I think you kind of laid it out. You had a lot of different inspiration for it. There are um, stacks. Like, yeah. you know, I, have, I you know, I, the thing is, is like, what is it they say? A bad artist borrow, a good artist steal. I'm not saying I'm a good artist, but like you, you, you just take those ideas that like, uh -huh. like that, like you think will work within your world. Like it, it's something I, okay. So I know it's not the popular opinion, but I watched the, um, I watched Puss in Boots. Mm -hmm. I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. and i the didn't like it the new one yeah yeah okay. puss in boots gotcha. uh the last wish whatever, i think it is yeah. mm -hmm. it wasn't bad it was it was you know done well but mm -hmm. it was animating like the action scenes were animated on twos just like they did on spider verse and yeah. like a lot of the action felt very spider versey okay. and i don't mind borrowing and stealing make it your own that is totally cool I, it's you know it's what i do i'm not going to deny anyone else doing it but i tend to go a little farther back Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, use it as an influence. Don't just copy it. And, yeah. you know, animating on twos. Let's be honest. Nobody was doing that before Spider-Verse. You <laughs> no, know, having the like. The, 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 and, and so it just looked when I watched it, my wife and I both watched it and we're like, 
I mean, it's not bad. It's, 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 it's fine. If I were a kid, it'd be great. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not the target audience. Um, but, but watching it, it just didn't give me anything new. Whereas Spider-Verse, nobody had done the things they were doing on there. Yeah. You know, we saw a brand Very new innovative. piece of, of yeah. cinema. It was amazing. You know, we, and, and mind you, it's full of stolen things, right? Mm -hmm. It stole from comic books. Yeah. I mean, it just was like Kirby book and like cutting panels out. It's like, screw uh -huh. it. You know, we're just going to put them right on there. And, and it worked beautifully. And it's not even because it's like, oh, it's old and it was better. It's like, no, you just like, you took it, you remixed it, you made it your own. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, you know, like for me, I was going to say, um, actually another thing I wanted to tangent back to a street level hero. So there's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, Ur, but the one book, if I got a chance to write for Marvel, the one mm -hmm. book I would want to write, I would want to write Darkhawk, but in the nineties. <laughs> oh yes. Not yes, current Darkhawk where he's uh -huh. like a cool cosmic hero. No, I love the idea of a power that you ha don't have to be born into bitten into mm -hmm. like irradiated into it's just a gem you got the gem cool you could turn into dark hawk yeah. i'm like perfect cool because i love the idea that and i love if you look at early dark hawk he couldn't even fly mm -hmm. early dark hawk had to grapple with his little bad wolverine knockoff claw <laughs> yeah. he had to grapple to the top of buildings and then glide places mm -hmm. so he's not even flying he's got wings he's named after a hawk and the dude can't fly yeah beautiful and he's got kind of super strength like Sure, he can throw a car, but like in the MCU, everyone can throw a car, you know, <laughs> and and he can shoot a chest blast. But let's be honest, you go toe to toe with Iron Man. Iron Man's going to out chest blast you. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> you don't stand a chance against Iron Man. You don't stand a chance. But you give that to uh, a guy who robbed and killed Darkhawk in his bed mm -hmm. and he needs to go commit some crimes. Suddenly that dude's a powerhouse. If you yep. don't have, you know, a superhero there to stop him, someone who's got stronger powers. And I thought that was a really like interesting idea. So for me, I want to write like that's the one character like street level, make it gritty, make it dark, make it like a forgotten item on a shelf. Like I love the idea of of <laughs> of, of Dark Hawk doing these like silly Dark Hawk um, things. And he's just so 90s, that block helmet. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, so he's the epitome. I have to ask you then, since you bring yeah. up Dark Hawk and you bring up what you would do for Marvel if, if you were at Marvel. Yeah. Have you ever watched, and I don't know the name of the series, so I'm going to sound like an idiot now. It might be the 616. It's like uh, basically like a little special feature show that's on Disney+. Plus. Um, Paul Shear from the How Did This Get Made podcast, and uh, I don't know, he's on a bunch of other things. Maybe a TV show called The League or something like that. But uh, Paul Shear kind of took this deep dive where he went to – of course, it was very scripted, but he went to the vaults of Marvel and started, all right, I'm going to pull out the most obscure characters I could find and write this little yeah. animation, and I'm going to get a budget and do it. And he got, uh, he pulled out Brute Force, that that 90s team oh. with the dolphin and the lion and everything, and uh, and kind of did like this. Uh, of course, the it, it was a comedy, so the budget didn't dictate uh, very well. You know, they ended up with, they were only able to do like 30 seconds of animation or whatever, but they yeah. ended up doing it. And they put this thing out, and it was so interesting. So I didn't know if you had seen that. No, um, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh, God, but you I like, watch it. So cool. <laughs> but, you, but James Gunn is like the biggest champion of that. Yep. You know. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. I did want to say, like, I went to film school because of uh, trauma films, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, like Lloyd Kaufman, I, and I was actually fortunate enough. I, I worked on um, uh, the live action parts of a video game uh, called Loco Cycle, wow. and um, the on set was Lloyd Kaufman, James Gunn, and Tom Savini. That's um, awesome. Wow. It, dude, highlights. Like <laughs> yeah. I got I got um James Gunn actually assigned my copy of the specials 
which if you haven't seen that movie, uh, okay, nobody's seen this damn movie. No, it's so good. Uh, but um, I haven't even seen Romeo and Juliet, so I haven't seen the special. Okay, so <laughs> the specials wasn't a trauma film, okay. but he had written it and he's in it. He started okay. it, but it's got Thomas Hayden Church. It's about the sixth or seventh greatest superhero team on the on the planet. Okay. And so they never use their powers. Mm -hmm. um, it's a brilliant film. I mean, truly is like early James Gunn, like loving superheroes movie. It's completely overlooked. Nobody, everyone brings up Mystery Men, which I also think is a masterpiece. Like my wife <laughs> yeah. and I quote that movie more than any other thing in our day-to-day -day lives. Like that movie is was super, but but the specials is, it's, it's great. And James Gunn, you know, he gave us like, you know, he brought back Polka Dot Man, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, Who's gonna write Polka Dot Man and make him such a tragic character? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But but yeah, so um um but yeah, I, I met Lloyd. Um, I was gonna say I, I met Lloyd, and I'm not afraid to talk to anyone. I'll walk up to anyone. I'll talk to you. I I walk up to him head down. Uh, uh Mr. Kaufman. Uh, I just wanted to tell you, like, uh, I got into movies because of you. And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry for ruining your life. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. No. And 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 so I love. Um, but I love seeing like guys like James Gunn, like guys like that, you know, bring up those old characters. They might not be the mm -hmm. best, right? Sure. But there was a certain like silliness that can be like attacked again. And like, tell us more of those stories. Give us more Kite Man, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. give us more of that. We, the, the cool, super fun hero, like they can exist, but it's not, a, it's not bad to look at like what's been done before the camp, the oddities. I mean, Mr. Freeze, right? You've got um, what, uh, what's his face did? Um, why am I blanking? Bruce Tim and oh, I'm blanking on his name. The guy who wrote for Batman, the animated series, co-creator of uh, Paul Dini, right? Co-creator of Harley Quinn. Yeah. What Paul Dini up until the animated series, Mr. Freeze was a joke. Yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> we, we laughed at Mr. Freeze though. Yep. The, the, the Arnold, you know, of course, oh, you know, yes. uh, <laughs> let's get out of here. You know, what is it? What happened to the dinosaurs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Ice Age. <laughs> you know, it's it's completely stupid. We're circling um, back around now, though, to knowing that that was the greatest comic book performance of all time. So, so uh, I defend those two movies as well. You Again, and me both. <laughs> um, I, I, you know what I think is, is I always say that um, it's the audience's fault for watching it wrong. Now, mind you, it was the <laughs> yes. studio's fault for selling it to us wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But those weren't sequels to Tim Burton's movies. They were sequels to the Adam West Batman. Hey. And as long as you watch them as that, they're grand old time, you know? But they, if you watch them as sequels to the Burton... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, what was that? It's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah, you, it's, it's, all, it's all you. Watch the movie better. Like, you're watching it wrong. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm, I'm glad we're seeing a bit of a renaissance in that, like, you know, people are going back to the camp. You know, mm -hmm. someone like James Gunn being co-CEO of DC is something we would have never seen 10, 15 years ago especially during the Zack Snyder era, yeah, no. you know, of, of, of superheroes. And, and he's like, to me, a reflection of the nineties. Okay. So admittedly, I've never seen the Watchmen. I won't be watching the Watchmen. <laughs> Anytime an artist is willing to give up the money, mm -hmm. you know, like Alan Moore did for that. I don't, I, 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 if he had, if he had taken the money, I'd have watched it. I'd have yeah. been like, ah, oh, you took the money, but he didn't take the money. And so I'm like, all right, I'm not going to watch this movie, but I honestly, Zack Snyder, like from everything I've heard, I hear it's a good enough movie, but I also hear it missed the mark, mm -hmm. you know, on, on the tone and what the original was trying to say. Um, well, I can agree and, with that. <laughs> you know, and so he is, to me, Zack Snyder's like DCU was a reflection of, let's say, the 90s in comics, where mm -hmm. it was about the bigger muscles and being cooler and being badass and strong. And James Gunn is going at it going like, yeah, we can have that. And that's all cool. 
But like, why can't we have Polka Dot Man show up with a bunch of lumps on his face? You know, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be a little bit funny? Or like, you know, we have King Shark and he's, you know, King Shark and, you know, <laughs> like, why can't we have those things? And like both can coexist in comics. And that's what's so good. Like comics as a medium are like, to me, like them and animation are the two greatest pieces of of, of medium we have mm-hmm. because you can go, um, you can go serious and you go sad and you can do it in the same 24 pages, you know, the same 48 yeah. pages I mean, in my case. You can case. create without um, the restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. And you're restricted to what your mind can create. And, and that's the, it. The, the only movie I can compare to it is the Wachowski's uh, Speed Racer film. Okay. Which is a completely underrated, unwatched film. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't watch it until by accident. I had um, I had one of those passes at like Blockbuster to date me for it, where I could rent <laughs> hey, it. I movies there, if it makes I want. you feel any better. So. Yeah, see, yeah. Um, <laughs> I owed so many late fees in the nineties. Um, uh, but I um, but yeah, I rented that movie because I was like, I was like, I need to rent three movies today, like, because I was like, I got nine hours off. I'm watching three movies, so. Yep. I um I rented that movie and I watched it and I was like this is amazing like <laughs> I'm you know I've got a monkey throwing poo and then somehow I'm like my heart is breaking for his his love of his missing brother and <laughs> and what that loss has done to this character it's in the same movie but you know you don't see that like you you have to like you you see as you know Zack Snyder's Man of Steel mm-hmm. and we never get a silly moment ever yeah, it just no, it, yeah pummels you the whole film yep um. And so for me, like, you know, with what I'm doing, even with Crim Sisters or what I'm doing with even Warriors of the Septic Seas, you know, it's okay for us to laugh at it. And it'd be a little silly. But I'm also, you know, telling a story of like Shirley, you know, living in a world that she doesn't like in, in a life that she doesn't like, like, and, and she has no way out mm-hmm. until one appears. And then she just grabs on and goes. Yeah. Um, and, and then she runs with it. That's, yeah. Uh, speaking of the Crim Sisters, uh, yeah. I, I, in, in, in concepts and, and, like you were talking about the James Gunn of it all, the not that this is unique just to James Gunn, but you know, mm-hmm. as we talk about it, bringing in, lowering those inhibitions, just kind of bringing yeah. in what's what's there. We uh, again, I talked a little bit before about like how everything doesn't have to be uh, gritty. It doesn't have to be yeah. in your backyard. It can take place wherever. Where, yeah. like you were saying, we're we're kind of only limited to our imagination. That's it. So. So in the Crim Sisters, whenever you first kind of, and, and this is a small spoiler, it's not really a spoiler. No, no, dude, just, spoil all you book. want. It's okay, totally cool. Okay. It's yeah, just in if the you book, want, it's not a spoiler. Um, I'm gonna try keeping spoilers on two <laughs> as much as I can down, okay, but okay, one, good. I'm like, good. Um, but I mean, it's it's right there. It's a reveal kind of in the second page or so. This giant foot ship. I want to talk about this giant <laughs> foot ship for a second the, because, man, the defeater. Just, that is a the, high concept. It. <laughs> it, it's called the defeater. Mm-hmm. D e f e e t e r. Exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, that's in the marketing for it. Like you know, all the okay, stuff I'm good, doing good. for it. No, yeah, no, no. The defeater you, is an important ship. Yeah. And you work really well with these. I don't want to say puns because that that makes it sound like they're they're also like like kind of throw away, not serious things or whatever, but well, I want to take them seriously. I like uh-huh. my taking my puns and, very and that's, seriously. That's what I was going to say about them. Yeah. They're, they're puns in a way, but, but it's also a part of this story. It's not a throwaway gag. That's, yeah. it's there for one line. Um, these worlds, this universe, everything, yeah. there's a lot of puns in it, but it works for the story. Um, that's kind of the purpose of what you're doing here. Not the purpose, but no, it is though. Yeah. No, I mean, no, you're, I think you're, you're, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, uh, absolutely. I'm, I do. I love puns. I love portmanteaus uh-huh. and I love puns. <laughs> I feed off of them. 
um chantilly mace you know <laughs> yep. i mean my wife was mad because i also hadn't ever heard the song before oh wow uh, okay <laughs> you know chantilly lace i'd yep. never heard oh. it but i knew the phrase so i was like oh for chantilly mace oh she's got a mace <laughs> and then her first opponent was um Susie homemaker mm -hmm. you know and she's anyway she has a frying pan for a weapon um <laughs> but but my but like for me like i take my puns seriously and i know that sounds terrible for it but like it's why not run with it like that you know like polka dot man you know i, I keep bringing him up mm -hmm. but like you know the defeater is is a dangerous ship and my idea my concept for it is essentially it's an old god's leg mm -hmm. so it's one of your elder gods your galactuses your whatever it's basically they discovered this giant leg and then they they built a ship onto it because it never rotted and never decomposed. Yeah. Um, you know, it and so they built this 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 ship onto this giant foot, and you actually find out, and see, here's me spoiling for the later one, but you find out that actually they had to get permission to use that from the quote. So they weren't supposed to actually like normally it's like an uh, essentially like an illegal weapon. It's it's mustard gas you know the mm -hmm. equivalent of using mustard they're not allowed to use that weapon in war but because she was uh the quote wanted to deal with the crim sisters um she allowed uh the use of this of the uh defeater and um and so you know but i like the idea it's like is it silly it's like yeah it's kind of silly but it's also this giant foot that you know kicks space giant you know <laughs> warships in half like that was a big concept for it like where i come up with came can't come up with it where I came up with that, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if like you had like this giant god kicking, kicking, you know, ships in half, like giant spaceships in half. And then I was well, like, oh, but what if it's, it's kind of cool? Play? You take something that's that's a little silly, maybe, maybe a little campy. It's a lot silly. And then you take it, <laughs> but then you take it seriously. You just kind of yeah. run with it. That's in my opinion, that's how you do it. If you're not, if it's not there for a throwaway joke, then yeah. you then you really double down on it and you run with it. And and that's what you've done here. Sorry, Bob. Uh yeah. and 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 I really like that approach to it. I want to talk for a second about your your plans with this book. So, yeah. so we know that you've written this. We know that you've gotten it illustrated. It's being yeah. it's in the process of finishing its coloring and and yeah. and its final uh, form now. I, I suppose. Uh, what are your plans with it once it's published? Because I want to kind of get into look. You know, this is a scary here, part, right? I, yeah, I, I definitely I. Look, this is definitely a call to action. Anybody, you know, any of our listeners, jump on Kickstarter, back this project because this is this is freaking amazing. Like you are gonna love this. It um, should show up at the end of February, so okay, we should great. go live at the end of February with our Kickstarter. I've got everything like ninety five percent written. The the Kickstarter, you know, mm -hmm. getting all the art assets in there, you know, linking my account, making sure everything's like set up for it. But sure. it's, it's crossing sorry, all yeah. your T's and dotting your eyes. Exactly. Um, yeah. I so. So what we want to know here is what do you, so this gets published, it gets yeah. funded, you, you get it published, you get it out there. Are you, well, one, are you self-publishing this? Is, is this? Uh, I, I am, you know, we submitted it, mm -hmm. you know, um, the only thing I ever heard back, it wasn't a no, but um, apparently I low resed one of the releases to Dark Horse and they're okay. like, yeah, it's it, like, it was two months later after I had uh, sent it to them and they're like, um, uh, they all they sent me back was like we had to throw it out because this release was too low resolution for us to read, ah. but you can resubmit it. So I resubmitted it, <laughs> okay. and I haven't heard anything. But I didn't hear anything back from all, and that's fine. I'm not, mm -hmm. you know, I don't get mad about. It. So I mean, really, if I can keep this one, like keep releasing the books, basically use this one to fund the next one to fund. Yes. You know, I want to keep releasing this book. I'm hoping okay. to expand into other books that I've written. You know, hiring more artists and mm -hmm. like getting more books done. 
Um, but you uh, want to get like an ongoing series out there. Um, not completely. So this okay. book is actually, so, you know, the 48 pages, it's 12 mm -hmm. of those. Yep. So okay. this is actually a very finite, all my, I don't write an ongoing series. Like sure. in general, it, I don't gravitate toward, toward it. I like endings. So I mean, like, well, yeah, understood. Look, look, 12, 12, 48 pages is, uh, I mean, definitely not an yeah. ongoing, but it's, it's, yeah. It's uh, a ways. Yeah. It's, it's a journey. Yeah. I mean, that's, I look, I could only uh, dream to read something like that where I don't get pissed off that after, you know, 22 pages with ads, uh, <laughs> I've got to wait till next month for the next issue to come out. And, so, and that's sure. the thing, like, ideally, you know, hopefully I was hoping like every four months mm -hmm. do another Kickstarter for the next issue. You know, right. I feel like gives us enough time to like get everything done, you know, get, you know, everybody's book ships so they can do it, they can enjoy it, mm -hmm. you know, absorb it. And then, you know, like three or four months down the line, we get you a new book, you know, yes. like, and, and be ready for it. And that's the thing too, is I don't want to fall behind. And I feel like giving us, you know, that amount of time gives us enough time to, again, cross our I's, dot our I's, cross our T's, mm -hmm. you know, and I think four months is, is theoretically enough time uh, for that with how small of our operation is. Um, but, but that's, that's what ideally I want to do is I want to start doing that and then expand into my other projects. I mean, I, and, and it mostly in comics, you know, primarily, you know, we're doing some animation, um, me and Francisco, um, the, uh, that's the director and artist on, on Warriors of Septic Seas. And he was mm -hmm. actually kind enough. He did the cover, the, um, uh, the cover, the main A cover for the Crim Sisters is done by him. Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I saw um, his name credited on that. Yep. Yeah. He did the, uh, he did the A cover, but you know, and with him, I'm working on more animation stuff, but, but for what I'm doing with this, I want to do more like, th but this book is right now my, my, my primary focus, mm -hmm. um, when it comes to comic books, like I, but yeah, I have. Uh, if I can get this series done, 12 issues would be spectacular. Yeah. Um, and it gets wilder. Like we start seeing, <laughs> like, I honestly think issue one is as, as tame as I'm going to be. I'm going to go <laughs> even farther out there. I've, I've got crazy planets. And, and a big thing with Crim Sisters is, is, is it's a lot of the things that like I grew up loving, you know, you've got like, you're going to have a planet that's inspired by Frazetta work. You know, <laughs> you've got, you're like, your goth planet, mm -hmm. you know, like your vampire planet. It's going to be like you said, why the hell not? I mean, you're not limited to anything other. Yeah. You can put anything out there that you love or, or that you like or that you hate or anything. And, and then that's a big thing too, is like, you know, because I'm not beholden to anyone. Uh, like if, if I don't like a character or a character needs to go, they're, yep. they're gone. You know, <laughs> um, we can, we can follow different things, you know? Um, and, and, and I, I, that's one of the struggles I have with like, not mainstream books, but, but books that aren't finite is like this book has an ending yep. like it will end a certain way my wife and i are in disagreement she doesn't like the ending i have for it so who knows how it will end but it will you know at the end of issue 12 and then and that's not to say that you can't go back and like touch on it again like oh mm -hmm. you know maybe we'll do a you know I, I mean that's way far down the line but you know the universe is there the universe is there for me yeah. to pull from if i need to um but yeah i ideally i would do that i mean you know getting picked up by a publisher I'm so the thing is is I'm not overly worried about making money off mm -hmm. this book. Like, sure. oh, I've got to make ton, you know, I've got to I, what I'm what I want is this book to pay for this book. Yeah. This, and you're not using this to keep the lights on. No, this, I'm not yeah. using I'm <laughs> uh, you know, and and so for me what I want is is people to read the book, enjoy the book, mm -hmm. you know, see the next book. Like that's what I'm really trying to get is get to that end line of issue 12 um and and people get to read that cuz I think I do think it's a fun little journey. I think it's a little, um, you know, uh, we'll see how 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 far I can stretch the puns as my serious puns as we can go. Um, 
because issue three has got some things that might be a little bit questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, cause we, we do see on issue three, we'll see Guiltarium and, uh, well, that's what it's called right now. Who knows? It might, it might change the name by the time we, but, um, we'll, we'll see a, uh, th- there's, there's one joke in there that she's not my wife. Again, my wife is my yardstick for like, did I go <laughs> far enough and too far? Yeah. And depending on the groan I get, like determines whether I'm in the right, like range. You know? <laughs> sure. it's, it's like, I'm going to make a ship, a spaceship, but it's going to be on a foot. <laughs> I'm like, ah. You're like, hey, that wasn't a bad one. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Well, look, it's it's been uh, amazing talking about this book. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so thrilled to get to check out issue two. I cannot wait till till this first book gets published, and then I get issue number two. What I want to, in kind of in closing with the book, what mm-hmm. I want to ask about is, look, it's it's. It's dead set. Our listeners are donating to your Kickstarter. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Everybody out there in the all new, all different nation is absolutely donating to this Kickstarter. So, Thank you. so again, don't don't worry about that. But what can our listeners expect whenever they donate to your Kickstarter? Um, I know that Kickstarter's got a, diff- a lot of different levels of things that you can yeah, yeah. do, whatever. So, okay, so I've got a few things. Um, the you know smaller tiers, we're gonna have. Um, I'm I'm gonna have a trading card. But on the back side is going to be a Crim Sisters auxiliary membership card. Um, so, and the the card is going to be the uh, front cover of issue one, the uh, the art by uh, Francisco, um, okay. it, without the title. But it's going to be like a blank. I'm a big trading card guy. I've got a massive <laughs> trading cards from the '90s. I, I've got two like full collections of was it the Marvel masterpieces? Oh yes, yes. yes. Like all those ones that were going to send us to college. Remember? Yep. Like oh, you're supposed absolutely. to go to college from those. Um, you're picking up again. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but um, you know, we're gonna have that, and then the big stretch goal we're gonna have is gonna be um, we're gonna do the the book is gonna be released probably the physical copy. So okay, so the digital copy is gonna be released in color. Um, mm-hmm. that's gonna be no problem. Um, the physical copy we're gonna release in front, you know, uh, color covers but the interior is going to be black and white. Mm-hmm. But if we hit our stretch goal, which isn't going to be much more than the main one, um, we're just going to print it in color. Like, okay. you know, and and not increase the price or anything on the people's levels, just like we'll we'll eat it. You know, like I said, really the big thing I'm trying to do is cover the cost of, of you know, getting the book done. Um, and can so, I throw this out there yeah, to, to all the listeners listening? You definitely, like, you're going to love this book either way, whether you whether you read it in black and white or color. You want to see this thing in color. So help Tony with his stretch goal. Throw as much cash as you can at this thing. Like, seriously, you want to see this thing in color. But sorry, I just had to. No, and, and the digitals are going to be in color. So, mm-hmm. like, no matter what, the digitals are going to be in color. So you will get to, like, kind of see it. But wouldn't it be better if you're holding a physical copy oh, yeah. and it's in color? And, um, you know, and I'll have it on the, the thing also if you want it signed by me. Wayne's, Wayne's actually out of um, – he's in – Okay, I'm gonna be back. Great Britain somewhere. Oh wow! Okay, uh, I'm, I'm terrible <laughs> about it. Yeah, so it's a, it's a bit away, but I'm <laughs> gonna um uh. But if if you want it signed, I'll have it on there. And and the the membership cards are gonna be signed and numbered, no matter what. I'm wow. signing and number all of those. That's awesome. Um, because I think it's just the like uh, originally I was gonna do it as a different like oh because I'm a sucker for the Mary Marvel Marching Society stuff. And so <laughs> sure. I was like, I love a membership card. And I'm yeah. looking at the thing, and I was like, man, you know, this is a cool piece of art. Like I would love it on a trading card. But I don't know what to do on the back. And I'm like, I was originally going like, oh, you could have his like stats for the character and blah, blah, blah. But I was like, I'll just do it as a membership card. And then each time what I'm hoping is like for issue two, we're going to have a different membership card with issue two's cover and, mm-hmm. you know, have it as an ongoing thing because uh, I can put those together myself. So, um, but, but I'm, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's going to be our kind of our levels is, 
is membership card. You know, you get digital copies and then there's the membership card if you want something physical mm-hmm. and then physical copies of the book. And we're going to have an A cover and a B cover. I, I think I included both covers in the copy I sent you guys. One was the Wayne La- uh, Loden, yeah. Loudon one. And yeah, then the, saw uh, the, the regular and the variant. And so well, we'll have those. Yeah. Look, oh, that, yeah. No, oh, please, sorry. Please. No, no. So we're going to have go a slightly ahead, higher tier one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much I'm going to ask for it yet, but um, hopefully, okay, so hopefully the highest one. Um, Wayne, one of the things that's interesting about Wayne's work is he's old school. So he mm-hmm. does it pen and paper. Oh, like wow. his original drawings are all, so he actually has his original 11 by 17s. Oh, and that's amazing. Yeah, so we're hoping to put those on the Kickstarter as some mm-hmm. of the higher tier. And then one below that, I don't know if anyone cares, but I have four copies of the script with all my notes <laughs> that I'm going to also have on as one of the tiers. Cause I was like, you know, if you want to like, see how I screw up a book, like, here you go. Um, and, so I can, and, and I can tell you guys in the short time talking to Tony here that, that we've just met Tony and we've been talking to him just for a little bit now. That's the most Tony thing that I could imagine <laughs> anybody getting is, is that <laughs> script with the, the handwritten notes and everything. And, Jesus, I mean, I might be donating that. So, uh, so, so we'll have to see whenever the Kickstarter starts up for that one. Um, yeah, Tony, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really, really appreciate you coming out. I want you one more time to just go ahead and and tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your work, where they're sure. going to be able to find this Kickstarter, under what. Uh, throw it all out there, please, and plug okay. whatever you have. So the big one, you know, right now we're doing it on under um, – at. Uh, at ponderous i believe is mine but look up tony franklin uh not the football player um <laughs> or the bass player um but if you look up the crim sisters uh stuff's coming up for there um the stuff i'm working with um with francisco on uh, warriors of the septic seas uh you can find our stuff for that um at studio round rock is actually mm-hmm. where that one's at um and uh but yeah um hopefully like i said we'll have it at the end of february you know closer to the end of february you know i figure got to skip valentine's day because uh, mm-hmm. nobody wants to spend money on it. like darling i spent money for this crib sisters comic <laughs> for you yeah. I, I just don't see it as like uh you know well i guess if you have the right kind of lady it's the right kind or the right hey. kind of significant other it is the right book, but but um but yes uh yeah but thank you very much for having me um i always you know i tend to tangent but i love talking comics and i like you know i, I don't i usually live in my little windowless basement <laughs> and work on on my silly little comic books so i'm uh i'm hoping to you know, send more out and hope you guys enjoy it. You know, thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah so no, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure tangents and all. Um, <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on. And, and again, one last time to our listeners, everybody out there, as you listen to this episode, go check out Tony's work and make sure you hop on Kickstarter to fund that Crimson, sorry, Crimson sisters. Number one. Um, it is amazing. Thank you. you can talk to me and Bob. You trust us up to this point. <laughs> trust us on this one. Tony, thank you so much. Again, been an absolute pleasure. You're invited back anytime you want to come. Uh, don't don't say something like that, man. I'll talk anytime. Uh, I, hey, I love talking. We'll have you on a regular episode to review a book with us. Be careful. <laughs>